Warning, we're going to be discussing events for currently running weekly anime. If you want to avoid spoilers for certain shows, there are timestamps in the description. Welcome back to the Time Sync Anime Podcast. We are now, uh, well, we're no longer an anime podcast. We're specifically going to be doing ASMR videos. Uh, no, we're not. We're, we're not doing that. <laughs> I hear that paper crinkling? Does that make your ears tingle? <laughs> Um, we just did that. We just fucking like switched. Yeah, just out like, of like, nowhere. Oh yeah, fucking like a, a year. Was it a year and a half? Well, almost. actually, well, actually, April Fools is is actually uh, yeah. coming soon. Well, so yeah, imagine that. Yeah, I just spent like a year and a half doing uh, anime podcasts, and one day we're like, yeah, uh, ASMR, yeah, yeah, just suddenly. <laughs> anyway, ten hours of uh, soft chica noises. <laughs> so uh, yeah, such well, as eh eh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, that'd be like the worst ASMR video ever. You blew the mic out on that one. Uh, Uh, Welcome back to the Time Sync Anime Podcast. Uh, We're talking about week 13 of winter 2019. The last week. Yep, last week. The... It's been an emotional week, for sure. Oh my god, yeah, so many good finales. Yeah, so many good finales, and a couple shows that won't aren't technically over, they will be carrying you over into the first week of spring 2019. Yeah. But... I'm Rex... And this I'm is, Jay. Uh, How's it going? Yeah, uh, I've I, I've been spending probably the a majority of the last twenty four hours in virtual reality because <laughs> because I recently got a vibe yeah mm. uh, and, and it's just like oh man I, this is this is the future I don't ever want to leave so I think I spent like three hours in a row uh, just trying to perfect the Chica ending song and Beat Saber. <laughs> And by the time I was done with that, I was just like drenched. It's a good workout. Yeah, fun. no, the vibe is a the vibe is a great workout. Um, I I've tried it a couple times. It's pretty fun. Like I've always had my uh, my reservations about virtual reality, but it's fun. I agree that it is yeah. very fun. It takes the right game, I guess, and just the technology is getting better, and that's a good thing, I think. Anyway, so news for this week. So first up, we got something probably most people know by now. Uh, the Promised Neverland is getting uh, is confirmed for a second season sometime in 2020. Yeah, to no one's surprise, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the finale in a bit when we get there, but uh, I, I definitely say it deserves a second season, and I can't wait for it. No kidding. Apparently, according to a good friend of ours, like the manga is still ongoing. It is. In its final arc, according to the author, and if they wait until 2020, they think that it's possible that the final season, or next season rather, will probably just cover the last few arcs of the story. Like, probably will be able to be fit into a 36-episode series total, like including this first season, so a two-core second season. Yeah, whatever, whatever that may entail. Yeah, I'm super looking forward to it nonetheless. Uh, It's, it was confirmed, like, right after was it either right after or right before i think it was the same day that the finale aired yeah it was uh it was like posted up on social media and stuff like uh, nobody's surprised by this right (laughs) like if you i was was a little surprised that it got confirmed immediately Mm. i I figured they'd give it some room to breathe kind of see how the audience felt about all of it but i guess i mean they're confident enough about it i guess yeah no kidding I am totally looking forward to that next uh, that next season. It has not next season or next next year. Yeah, I didn't mean next season. Oh, I meant the, the next, next season. Yeah, the oh, okay, next yeah, season yeah, of right. the show, yeah, not yeah, yeah, of yeah. anime season. 
So the next Dororo OP is going to be performed by Asian Kung Fu Generation. Oh, they're the ones behind the Erased OP. Uh, yeah, Erased. I think they did a, a Naruto OP. I I'm wouldn't sure, be surprised. I'm sure they've Everyone's done, done a Naruto OP. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember being a pretty pretty big fan of them when I was a, a wee lad watching yeah. like Naruto and Bleach. You mean like a wee blad? A wee blad, yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's probably going to be really good. I, I think they put out a, like, a preview for it, but I'm not going to... Spoiler myself. Spoiler. Yes, I'm not going to spoil. spoiler myself for the opening. I, I, I like watching the new openings as like as I watch the new episode. Yeah, and being either uh, saying, oh yeah, this is awesome, or oh shit, this is kind of lame. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got a hell of a, a an opening to follow up on, because mm-hmm. this first opening for Dorota was kick-ass. Yeah, that I absolutely adore that opening. Like I, like, I very rarely go out of my way to look out to look up the full versions of songs to series, uh, and only for OPs that I really, really like, Dororo is one of them. So, yeah, I, that's a good sign. I actually have a, a big piece of news. I don't know if you co- were thinking about covering Evangelion? This. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm sure everyone else has already heard about this as well. The, uh, the Netflix cover of Evangelion cover, I guess, license of Evangelion, will not be reprising the original voice cast for the show, so no Spike Spencer as Shinji, no uh, Tiffany Grant as Asuka, no Amanda Wynn Lee as uh, as Rey, and no Allison as, Mich- as Misato. It's kind of the shame as somebody who's been a longtime fan of the series, because it's a, uh, because those voices are so iconic, and they're still using most of the cast in the rebuild movie, so it just kind of begs the question why i guess it's bizarre to me i'm so i don't want to get anyone's hopes up but there is a petition going around it's being shared by uh tiffany grant and spike spencer i think uh kyle kyle hebert 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 i don't know it's hebert uh they're all sharing around the petition oh that was a while ago uh, I just saw it recently. Um, well, yeah, they yeah, started sharing um, that position a while ago, though. Like, oh, it, okay. it, it, it might be a resurgence, but it's... well, well, it currently now has. Oops, I forgot to fucking turn notifications off on my phone. <laughs> uh, it currently has um, about like five thousand. It has over five thousand supporters right now on yeah. the petition. I mean, it changed the org petitions. Don't always do anything, really. They really don't. But uh, I mean, it, it, it'll at least probably make Netflix see the petition. I I don't know, because here's the thing. As far as I understand, they weren't even really up for a consideration, because I follow a lot of voice actors, and as far as I know, Amanda Winley didn't even get a chance to audition for it. Like, I'm not entirely sure, but as far as I could tell, like, kind of searching for her Twitter through her Twitter feed, there was, uh, there was no indication from her that she actually was even allowed to audition for the series, so... I don't know if Netflix wasn't even really considering them from the get-go, or or there was contractual issues or obligations somewhere else. I, I have no idea. Now, the thing about it is Netflix typically uh, goes through California, which, because of Bang Zoom, is there. And uh, most of the voice actors like are centered in Texas, I want to say. So that's possible. Yeah, it could just be like a location thing. Could be a location thing. It could be... Contract reasons maybe maybe they're not uh going to be like maybe they're still going to be on the rebuild movies i i hope so because i'd be really disappointed if they changed those too because like i've said the voices are iconic now the last thing i'm going to say that just because they're changing the voices 
I don't necessarily think that's going to be a terrible thing. I'm upset and disappointed about it, but I'm hopeful. Because I think that uh, for people who have never seen the show, it's uh, going to be a new way to introduce people to the series. Yeah, it's not going to make a huge difference for people who've never seen it anyways. Yeah, the only reason it's such a big deal to so many people is because it's such an iconic series and has so many fans. And these are like the voices that these people watched it with. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of people watched it growing up, Yeah, probably. exactly. Uh, I, I watched it when I was in high school. Yeah, I, I mean, I can just imagine going back, like, and watching a a re a re a re release of Yu Hawk Show without Justin Cook as Yusuke. Oh man! Because like, I never watched it subbed. I watched it dubbed growing up because I was a kid and didn't know a lot about anime. But I can just imagine like how upset I would be about that. So I can definitely feel what the what the fans are coming and from. Th- even a and another good friend of mine was talking about. Uh, I told them about this, and they even said the whole. It was kind of like that when uh, Sailor Moon Crystal came out, because mm. there was a completely different voice cast for Sailor Moon Crystal. Uh, none of the original scouts reprised their roles. God, that was a terrible... The original was a terrible dub, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible, but it was still iconic. And even uh, and even for... And even for Evangelion, the, like, kind of looking back, I'm sure, like, some of the voice actors, like, listen to some of their recordings and think, oh, man, that was terrible. Because, like, they've gotten so much more experience under their belts. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But, like, uh, let's not spend all day anyway, talking about that. So, the long, the short version of this, Evangelion is not going to be recasting its people. Um, it's a little disappointing, but... I'm still hopeful. I wonder what you guys all think. Uh, leave a comment if you guys think that if you think that it'll be good, bad, or if you're going to watch it or not. Who who cares? For me, I only see good things from it. And if I don't like the new voices, I guess I'll just watch it subbed or something. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, we're starting off this week with the finale of Boogie Pop and others. I, Man, the show has been confusing. Yeah, it's- it ended exactly as confusing as it started. But that's not really a bad thing. For no, me. yeah, I like. I'm probably gonna go watch it again mm-hmm. in my own time, just uh, in like maybe one or two sittings, just because I feel like I I missed a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, because Boogie Pop is definitely we've said it before, like quite a few times this season. This is definitely a show that you have to be like paying attention. For exactly, like you can't it. just turn this on and like be. Well, I mean, with subs, anyways, you can't just turn something on, but you can't just like half-ass it when you're watching the show. You gotta. Like, put on your thinking glasses. And... Yeah, exactly. Your thinking mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gotta protect those brain waves. I guess, or you could just enjoy Smuggy Pop. But, yeah, I enjoy mean, Smuggy there's, Pop. There's so much, so much that happened. Uh, yeah, you called it last week with uh, Shiro being the King of Distortion. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know if this was intentional, but like I said last week, I thought it was way too convenient that he knew exactly where to go in the Moon Temple and was the one pointing it out. I was just like... Huh, that's a little bizarre that he kind of just seems to know that and is just guiding uh, Mabara to that. And I, so, yeah, I called it. Yeah, good good job, good job. I'll concede defeat on that one. Because I thought that he was just, like, in the dream world because everyone else had those eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it turns out that the little boy wasn't the one who created Zuragi. It was Shiro who created Zuragi from... The little boy's memories. Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So the little boy didn't have powers, uh, Shiro has powers. Mm-hmm, that makes a little bit more sense, but, uh, I, I'm, it's still a lot to take in, because there's just so much going on here. We don't entirely know what the Toa organization is, or what their aim is, really, 
but we got introduced to a lot of characters as well, or reintroduced to a lot of characters that I hadn't thought about since the very first arc of this series. Uh, Kamishiro, uh, Aoki Kamishiro, whatever her name was. Which one is that? Uh, Kamiki, Naoko Kamikishiro was the got, was the uh, girl who had died during the Echoes incident. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the girl that, uh, who had admitted... Was that, was that the Maneater? Uh, no, that was uh, some... Or the no. girl who got killed by the Maneater. The girl who got killed by okay, the Maneater. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and that was what kind of spawned this whole uh, King of Distortion incident, was because Shiro was, cared about her, wasn't entirely sure how he felt about her, even though she was clearly head over heels for him. And he had felt guilty that he just wasn't able to really read those feelings or didn't know how to respond to them or didn't even really know how to reciprocate them. So his power evolved from that, which I think is super fascinating. Yeah, I didn't... Based on how the show just kind of jumps around everywhere, I didn't expect them to bring back tie-ins to previous parts. I I mean, I definitely think it wrapped up the series pretty well and kind of... by bringing it back, it kind of gave us a kind of a closing point to this part of the story. Yeah, because I, I did a little bit of research, and, and apparently this uh, this season of Boogie Pop, these eighteen episodes that was released, it, it covers like three or four books. Yeah, three or four light novels, uh, and, and each of these arcs was mm-hmm. named after and made after the the light novels themselves. Yes, which I think is really cool. The uh... The thing about uh, Shiro's power was the way that Boogie Pop put it, and I thought was very interesting. It's the ability to amplify a part, a fragment of a person's heart, and then draw it out, which I, and resonate with it, which is pretty much exactly what he was doing, and why all these people, like all these different memories, like uh, like uh, Nitoki seeing uh, Misami and uh, and Sakiko seeing her dead friend that she felt guilty over, it make it all makes sense now from this point forward, and. I always like that about Boogie Pop. Like, just, like, all the weird psychological shit that goes on. It's it's basically Monogatari. It's like a more serious version of Monogatari, I think. Yeah, I, I can see how it kind of feels that way. Uh, so, Boogie Pop, once again, using non-violent means to subdue her targets. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, like, the characters are fascinating to me because... Uh, in the beginning of the show, I just thought it was this kind of character that would run through and, you know, kill everything, kill all the monsters, etc., etc. Uh, but when Boogie Pop was face-to-face with Shiro, when they, when they were up in, like, the sky yeah. or whatever, uh, she she actually stopped and, or they actually stopped and, you know, instead of, it's like, I could kill you right here and now, but, yeah, I don't think you're one of those Yeah, threats. I don't think you're one of those I think people. you're just a stubborn kid. Yeah, you're just being a little stubborn right now, which... It kind of was, and basically this whole King of Distortion thing happened because it was Shiro's own guilt that had become distorted, and that's why it took form in the way that it did. Yeah, it was, I think it was like his power subconsciously activating on himself. Yeah, and going kind of out of control, because as he said, as Boogie Pop said, you are still young, you're still young, you're still naive in your power, and you don't have control over your powers yet. Did it explain how Shiro ever got in contact with uh, the the tour organization guy? Uh, Tarotsky? I, yeah. I don't. As far as I know, no. Like no, I, don't, I, I don't think they directly. I think they. It. Yeah, I think they alluded to the idea that the two of them had met at some point. Like he had gone to the Moon Temple before. I don't entirely know what it, what it was though. I'm not sure if the series ever addressed it. It might have, and I just might have missed it because mm-hmm. there's so many things that you can miss yeah. in the show. As, what's her face? Sakiko 
So so when she met up with Boogie Pop later in the episode, uh, it was I, I'm really confused because she's like, well, will I see you again? And, and then when Boogie Pop says no, and, and then Sakiko says, well, what if I become your enemy? Yeah. And, and then uh, Boogie Pop's like, well, okay, well, I won't hold back. And then as she's walking away, Sakiko just kind of smiles to herself. Mm-hmm. Is It kind of makes me think that Sakiko wa- still wants to get killed by Boogie Pop. So she's probably going to try and do something that's going to make her an enemy to the world. Maybe. Or or maybe she's just even think or maybe she's even thinking about how it's not really how Boogie Pop really isn't the monster that the urban legends have basically been building it up to mm. be. And maybe it's a little bit of closure on that. Like maybe she because I think she's finally being able to uh, move forward past her guilt. Like because that's what it seemed like the last few minutes of this episode were just ev- like kind of closure on everybody's art. Yes. Yeah, like a like K's arc was basically, oh, I have a crush on a, on my friend's boyfriend, and I was kind of upset that he didn't have those feelings for me. But she seemed to get over that, and they kind of acknowledged it, and kind of uh, swept it under the rug in the most roundabout way possible. Like, I wasn't coming here for you, sort of deal. Yeah, I mean, that's like the teenage girl thing. Yeah. I which, Don't worry about it. And well, you know, Although, I, th- I think she... Pre- she uh, Kind of cut it off pretty in a healthy way. No, I agree. Like, it was... I'm not saying, like, she was being pettier about it or anything. She was basically just doing, like, how also just Japanese people typically do. Just kind of not real... Kind of in the most roundabout way possible kind of get what they're going for. I Where do you get that metric from? <laughs> I be, uh, I studied communication for, like, four years, and that's a pretty oh, common thing. Uh, okay. Uh, Japanese uh, Japanese people typically aren't always the most. Uh, they're very much a read the atmosphere culture, which is why they try to save face as much as possible. That's why they're like, like we said a few weeks ago, like how they're trying to out polite each other all the time <laughs> and trying to basically maintain a status quo. Like they don't want to make things too awkward, so oh, that's okay. what K is trying to go for, I think. So that's why she was kind of roundabout in her, I'm I'm over you sort of deal. She didn't directly say it. She kind of wanted him to figure it out, I think. Uh, it, was, it was actually, it's really interesting seeing these mundane problems, like like with uh, with Nitoki, about how her major conflict in this big supernatural series was getting over a guy she likes. Yeah. Uh, it kind of brings like a personnel element to the otherwise ridiculous supernatural nature of the show. Yeah. Like uh, other characters just trying to deal with crap like that. Yeah, can, can I, uh, speaking of K, can we just, can we just acknowledge that it's actually kind of adorable how, uh, K refers to Boogie Pop as just Boogie? Boogie. Yeah, just, like, as a nickname. Little Boogie. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a nickname for them. Yeah. Like, they're oh, yeah. on such a friendly basis. Probably counts, uh, I was assuming Boogie Pop would count as, like, another friend. Yeah. Uh, besides Takeda. Exactly. The, the ending was, uh... I don't know. I still don't. I, maybe they explain this whole phantom world in like the books or in the other anime series, but the ending was just Boogie Pop sitting there and uh, it look. I think it was Takeda. Yeah, Takeda up goes up. Yeah, exactly. And I think what I personally took away from that is it's it's the same world that Echoes had gone to. I think that it's basically just like the uh, the place that Boogie Pop goes to when it's dormant inside uh, inside of Toka. It could all just be inside Toka's mind, mm-hmm. maybe. Or, like, it's just an existence that just will pop up on occasion. And Boogie Pop, I imagine that's basically just the dormant state in Toka's mind. Maybe yeah. how maybe how Boogie Pop, that's how Boogie Pop, the personality, is sort of processing things. Maybe. And when he goes into retreat. 
maybe Takeda was there because because uh, I know that they were they were they were on the train mm-hmm. and um God what's her face Toka Toka was like uh kind of asleep and uh, maybe Takeda also fell asleep so he popped up in there uh, and then Boogie Pop gives the line uh, at the end of the end end of the show of the threat is gone Takeda Kun yeah and. I'm assuming that means Boogie Pop's probably going to just go to sleep for a while. Until a new threat shows up. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure the Boogie Pop series goes on past this. Like, I'm sure there's a lot more store- source material. Uh, from what I could tell, there's like 15 books, I think. Yikes. And I think this covers like somewhere in the middle of all those. I Because I think Boogie Pop Phantom covers stories from the very beginning. But, anyway... Boogie Pop and Others, really good show. I was fascinated by it every week. Next up, Dododo. We get the climactic showdown between father and son, brother against brother, all, um, sound, like, bald priest guy versus demon statue. I, I don't know. I don't know how to drag this out any further. But basically... Shit hits the fan this episode. This is like the end of the core, and it's setting it up for the next core, which, oh my god, this episode is actually kind of depressing at times. Yeah, it was really interesting seeing Hyakimaru struggle with, like, who his, who his family was. Yeah. Because uh, he definitely had a chance to kill his dad mm-hmm. in the beginning, and he, like, jumped on his shoulder uh, yeah, jumped on, like, behind, like, on his horse, like, yeah. behind him and was getting ready. That was a really cool scene because you, when uh, there was just, like, that flash where Daigo kind of looks behind him and he just sees that, like, creepy, like, deformed baby behind him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was just a nice little touch. I thought it was very creepy. But there there was that. We had Tahomoto's internal struggle of whether he should save his brother from the unfair fate that he was dealt or kind of just protect his people yeah which is uh, a really shitty thing to have to decide about and then then there was also his mom who was just riddled with guilt yeah over having done that to her own son yeah having having done that to her own son and her inability to save him and just like how she had basically done nothing but pray for like 16 years hoping that something would change and nothing ever did she had continued to reap the benefits of it all while uh having done nothing and that's why she was so guilty i i had really liked uh liked how that had resolved too because the goddess statue goes dark after the uh after like one of the big moments in this episode when she stabs herself it just goes it had like this green aura about it yeah like dims out yeah it dims out and just disappears i don't think it disappeared i think it just dimmed a little bit Mm. so yeah because the the monk had uh, looked around like the uh, the hall of hell, and for one thing, he's like, "Oh, so oh the uh, the lord of this land had slayed the demons." Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was like obviously it's obvious to us, but yeah, the, the but the uh, but that was just the priest confirming what the audience had already known. Yeah, but uh, and then he basically he said something that was kind of ominous. Well, there's only one being bound so far. Like that's only still slightly bound. I hate to yeah, see the, what the happened. big baddie demon. In yeah, the back. Yeah, just which I think is freed by the end of this episode. I I think so. It very well could be. I but I don't know the the other really weird thing about this episode was when uh, was when Tahumaru went into the Hall of Hell because he was thinking about uh, about breaking his father's deal with the demons. 
I kind of wonder, he got, like, pushed violently out of it. I was wondering if, uh, if there, like, because his viewpoint had kind of changed after that visit, so it made me wonder if maybe the demon had done something, like it had planted visions of it in his head of before or something, kind of to show him what the land was like before his father made that deal. So, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that would definitely be possible, because it did seem like it just switched from him wanting to save his brother to immediately wanting to save his people. Yeah, and, like, a lot of people, like, have, are, uh, I think, being kind of critical of Tahamaru, but no, he seems, he's a very real character, and he's just a victim of circumstance, much like his brother. Like, because, uh, Daigo doesn't see his sons really as anything more than tools to further his own ambitions. That's all he sees Tahamaru as. Yeah, I... I find uh, Tahomaru's conflict fascinating. Just mm-hmm. the like he has to he has such a hard decision to make between saving his brother and saving his people because like sure you could say yeah I'm going to do the right thing and go save my family member but if I do the quote unquote right thing then is that all these people are going to starve to death. Yeah, even uh, his father points that out. So are you really willing to throw your own people? To throw our people, not your own people, our people back into hell just so that you can remain innocent. That's mm-hmm. a pretty big, basically, that's a really hard thing to put on a 15-year-old kid. Forget that he's 15. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely easy to forget that, especially when he almost killed a crab by himself. Yeah. A giant crab monster. <laughs> I, yeah. I should specify crab monster. Yeah, and then, uh, and then Hyakimaru is 16. Think about that. But I think that the... The scene when uh, his mother basically says, we have to just beg for forgiveness, pretty much, that was really well handled. For one, the voice actor did a really good job selling that, and the animation was handled really well, too. Like, when she prostrates herself and starts, like, uh, like grabbing at the ground, like, you can actually see her fingers start to bleed with yeah, how tightly yeah. that she's grabbing it. And then uh, how she just kind of suddenly stabs herself. Yeah, I feel like in most situations that would be like in slow-mo and everybody would be running towards her like, yeah. no, but no, no. she's just like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, I, we have to feed, basically, in order for us to survive, we have to continue feeding upon you like demons, yeah, is I, her words. I think her goal there was probably to make it so the demons would, wouldn't need to take anything else from Hyakimaru. Yeah. Like, she's like, well, I'll just give my life and then you don't have to take anything from my son. Exactly. But it didn't really work out that way. I think she just summoned a bigger demon. And of course, Daigo's is like, Thanks, Shakimaru, you fucked it up again. Yeah, you brought great misfortune upon us. No, you did that when yeah. you made when you made a deal with demons, you asshole. And then we get to see like a nice little moment or nice kind of bit, sort of like uh you were talking about Hyakimaru being confused on, like, who his family was, and his real family had basically discarded him. Like, his brother had basically said, hey, I'm sorry that that happened to you, bro, but <laughs> eh, I've got to just kind of throw you to the wolves again. His dad could not care if he, if he died, and his mom he probably offed herself. She's very heavily wounded, at yeah, least. Yeah, I don't think she's dead yet. But Dodoro said this uh, a couple times throughout the episode, don't worry, you've got me. Mm-hmm. Which I think is yeah. a very nice little uh, a very nice little thing, basically saying, hey, I'm your family. And, and Hyakimaru definitely proves that he feels that way too, because when when he's fighting his brother he immediately abandons that fight to go over and save Dororo and um, Sukuroku. Oh, yeah, which Sukuroku actually also had a happy ending this episode. Didn't expect that! Yeah, I wasn't either. I was expecting, I was expecting, yeah, his mother's dead. Yeah, I, 
I, I don't know how I feel about that. I I don't know how they survived in that situation. Like, unless, they had just been hiding, yeah, as far as we know. Unless the soldiers really... Well, I don't know. I, 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 maybe the soldiers didn't want to kill civilians, but then they killed civilians anyways. Yeah, they killed them by nailing them up onto a wall. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm assuming that probably either subconsciously or otherwise most of the soldiers didn't want to shoot a kid. Yeah, because... Actually, that's an interesting point, because, like, everybody, like, they were all pinned up on the wall, and then they started shooting, but then they all shot the, like, all the adults lined up on the wall, and not Tsukuroku. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's because, like, they're thinking, well, if we shoot enough arrows, they'll probably all die. And, and there's, then, all the, I'm assuming all the guys are probably thinking, well, I'm not going to shoot the kid, someone else will. Yeah. So in the end, nobody shot the kid. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And... We had another callback this episode. We saw that sam we saw the samurai bastard that had killed Mio, or at least the one that got away. Oh yeah, almost made uh, Hirokimaru freak out again. Yeah, that was a little that was a little awkward, like how he started screaming at first. But then, it, like I don't know, I think the voice actor felt like I don't think that it was as visceral this time around as the like initial scream. Yeah, well, it's it was probably less. He's probably less angry than in the moment when he was there. Yeah, uh, and also Hiyaki uh, still doesn't have a firm grasp on how to use his voice. Yeah, I mean he's talking a lot more now, which yeah, that's I'll... an impressive feat in and of itself. Like... All, all his talking is very stilted and and yeah. Uh, slow. Yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, side note: uh, in the opening, I finally i I noticed that the guy who has like an eye. He was like a cut across his eye. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey, that's Tohomaru. Yeah, you said, like, is it Tohomaru? I wonder when that's going to happen. And then it immediately happened this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. And I was thinking, yeah, because you would actually ask me, isn't that guy looks like Tahomaru? I'm like, it is Tahomaru. I'm like, just yeah. look at him. That's Tahomaru. And so I think, like, going forward, this is going to be more about, like, Hyakimaru having to worry about, uh, having to worry about not just the demons, but also the, uh, but also Daigo's people going after him. Yeah, because uh, Daigo, uh, Tahomaru, and I think everyone pretty much got away. Mm-hmm. I mean, his mom got stabbed and stabbed herself. Yeah, in the stomach, after, after everyone the, left the the Banmon or whatever. Yeah, the Banmon Wall, and yeah, the Asakura clan was going to attack, then they didn't. So this is the last thing I want to say. So in the bit when Dodoro was trying to escape. Can I just say that Sukuroku is st- fucking strong for a kid, apparently? Because he managed to, when two guards were going in to stop Dodoro from escaping, he managed to, like, just tackle one, and apparently hard enough to make him hit his head against the bars behind him, and keep another one occupied oh, no, that was, for, like, uh, 15 seconds. Well, that was Sukuroku and also the, another old guy. Might have. Who was doing that. Yeah, I didn't... We didn't it, showed, it showed one of the other old guys struggling with the guy as well. Ah, maybe. I just guess I just didn't notice that. Still, I thought it was kind of hilarious. Like, wow, a kid is actually apparently pretty damn strong. A new OP probably next week. Yep. So uh, next up is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind. Featuring Biggie Smalls. You mean Notor- <laughs> Yeah, Biggie Smalls, Notorious yeah. Big, or Notorious Chase. God, that pissed me off so much how they actually like changed the- They actually edited the writing on the wall. Yeah, they- <laughs> It's like, come on, just do the subtitles. Yeah, also, can I just point out that it was really annoying in that sequence when it was just all written in Italian? And yeah, there right? Weren't, and there weren't- And, and Jorno's like, huh? Huh? Oh, spooky Italian! Yeah, spooky Italian words! Like, maybe it was just because we were watching it on Verb and I didn't subtitle those, but I am I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, oh, I could go for some pizza. <laughs> but, ugh. 
this uh this episode once again it, like this episode felt like something out of a body horror movie like oh I god it was god. so oh, it's so hard to watch some yeah, parts it, of it like it, when uh like when Giorno has his arm on the piece of glass and he just kind of pushes it down and you see the glass push up through his skin. I'm I'm pretty uh, sure glass isn't typically that sharp to cut somebody's arm off. Like uh, it actually threw bone and shit. Yeah. But well, I mean, like first of all, plain windows don't use glass. I'm pretty mm, sure. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure they use like some kind of really strong plastic material or something. Yeah. And... And that wouldn't shatter like that. Yeah. Um, but, this know. was also the, this was also, like, the late 90s. Yeah, that's true. And, and suspension of disbelief, even if they did use it. Still, for one, ow, when he did yeah, that. And ugh. two, and two, I'm pretty sure that you, that wouldn't be able to cut off his arm and send it flying out the window. <laughs> well, it, it was being sucked out by the... Well, that I understand, right but, but... Although, apparently, Stinky Fingers fucking doesn't cause... Uh, explosive decompression. Yeah. It's like, hold on, he's just like, and he opens up a hole and nothing happens. Like, oh, I guess you didn't need to hold on after It's a sand hole, who cares? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Abakio using Moody Blues to fly the plane, I thought was pretty Oh, it's sick. fine, I thought, I saw this in a movie once, I'm pretty sure we could just use this computer. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that aside, uh, actually using his stand to fly the plane was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I agree. That was really cool. But he was, like, not at all... Pre- it seems like they almost forgotten that he was in this episode. He didn't even say, Hey, is something going on back there? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> or anything like there that. There's definitely lots of screaming. Yeah. That pe- I feel like people would have heard. Like, and <laughs> like, hey, what's going on? You would have thought that he would have said something. Yeah. Uh, the scene on the runway, that was pretty weird, because, for one thing, the guy that showed up kind of looked like Pesci. Like, except... Yeah, he had that same kind of, like, rubber body yeah. aesthetic. <laughs> but he also kind of reminded me of a, of a Spongebob bit, the, who you calling Pinhead, from Spongebob, you know what I'm talking about? No. It was in, it was in an episode when uh, Sandy was hibernating, one of the early episodes, but anyway, Patrick asked that question and his face kind of looked all squished and hilarious yeah, like that. I don't, I don't watch Spongebob. I because, haven't either. Because I'm, just... I'm an adult. I oh. only watch anime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you only watch like Japanese cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, look, we've got to take a second to talk, to talk about uh, Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Because, or Big, as they call him. Yeah. So, you know how he died, right? He got shot. Yeah. And then, like, I think it was like a week or so after he died, he released his album, yeah. Life After Death. Ha. Huh. Which this stand ability, uh, as they have come to realize, only activates after the stand user dies. This is some fucking Illuminati shit right here. I didn't even put that <laughs> shit together. That's fucking hilarious, yeah. actually. It's, like, I, it's almost in bad taste, but not really. Nah, I think it's a, I think it's a nice it's little... It's pretty creative. Nod. Too. Yeah, but uh, also on the runway, Mista giving the longest-winded speech about telling somebody to get oh, the yeah. fuck out. Like, it's like, we won't even let a Satan come here, not like a Satan would ever show up here in the first place, and all of a sudden, and I like spaghetti, do you like spaghetti? Oh wait, you're coming closer, I have to shoot you, I guess. Like, really, Mista, was there any necessity in giving that long-winded of a speech? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mista's a nice guy, he doesn't want to shoot somebody who doesn't have to. It's like, just shoot him! <laughs> It's like he's clearly an enemy. Shoot him. I mean... Well, he did eventually once he showed the stand. Yeah, of course. Only after he showed the stand. Like, wait, he's a stand user. (laughs) Kill him. Who could have predicted this? 
like even Trish points that out. It's like it's not your fault. Nobody could have predicted this, except for literally everybody watching this show. Yeah. I, well, I mean, they they said the whole thing like nobody could possibly follow us on this plane. It's like, okay, flag's been triggered, I guess. Yeah. Apparently they cut something out of the anime that was in the manga, like uh, Bucciarati apparently went onto the airstrip and it had asked uh, somebody, it's like, I'd like to steal a plane, where could I find one? <laughs> uh, which they didn't show here. <laughs> but that would have been kind of funny. I was kind of curious about like, okay, so they're at an airstrip now, where do they find this plane? That's nah, fine, don't worry about it. Yeah, no kidding. Do you think we have time to worry about that when there's arms being chopped off and uh, and Trish... Uh, I, I'm assuming she's probably going to get her her stand. We're probably going to see it finally yeah. next episode. Like, we saw a bit in the Babyface arc where uh, she had her hand on the ground and there was a big old handprint there. Yeah, her and her stand, Spicy Lady, or probably just Spice Girls! Yeah, it's probably Spice Girls. Yeah, it's, it's going to be Spice Girls. Although, like I said earlier... Spicy Lady. <laughs> spicy Lady. I, uh, I want to say that it's kind of... I said before that this episode kind of was felt like something out of a, a body horror movie or just out of a horror flick in general. Like, because when, uh, when Trish was, like, by herself, like, in the plane, like, how it was, like, all dark and stuff, and she saw, like, the reflection of the stand just rolling around, kind of reminds me of the, there's something on the yeah. wing in the Twilight Zone. And then how it starts slamming against the windows. Pretty well done. Like, it was actually legitimately creepy yeah it was really gross how like when it attached itself to jerome's arm and it's kind of like a hand coming oh out. god so, okay we, we also have to go back to the fingers in the fridge i don't entirely understand how that happened yeah Jorno says apparently he put them there with because we saw like the uh, notorious big like uh it was attached to his thing and that's what was scribbling on the wall yeah i, I guess maybe attached it probably attached to him when he reached down and touched the guy's body probably uh but like i guess yeah the writing was off screen so maybe off screen he put those fingers in the fridge yeah like it was like apparently they were shocked that it was even a freezer to begin with though. but where did the extra one come from randomly i don't like maybe don't, that maybe it's part of uh the stand's ability i i have no idea it it was very it was very strange though and it definitely Iraqi once again, sort of just saying, "Oh, that kind of happened." Don't don't focus on it too much. Look yeah, at this flashy they shit. They might explain it. Yeah, they might explain it. Maybe next episode. <laughs> so, Kaguya-sama, love is war. This episode was actually kind of depressing and heartwarming all at the same time. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, first of all, it's the season finale. Yeah. So, I mean, I expected to be very good. Uh, I didn't expect it to be so cripplingly sad. At, at the point when when Kagi just gave up, yeah, on the bed, like this is a funny show. Why am I? Why am? Why is someone cutting onions in my comedy? Yeah, just like her repeatedly saying, "It's okay, it's okay, it's okay." Ugh. Oh God, it's like no. Yeah, I, I didn't. Was, I was kind of expecting uh, an arranged marriage, just because that seemed like the direction they were going with, with her dad showing up randomly and calling her back to the house. Yeah. Which somebody he apparently has shown that he's kind of a deadbeat, doesn't really pay attention to her or anything like that. So it'd be kind of bizarre for that in the first place. Yeah, it was so heartbreaking just to see her all excited, about ready to go out. She's all dressed up, and the bodyguards. Hi like, nope. and then, yeah, and then Hayasaki even gives a thumbs up, like saying, "Yeah, you yeah. look good." And the sort of and just see you later. I'm so excited for her to go have fun. Nope. Yeah, Hayasaka. I know we've said it before, but I'll say it again just because it bears repeating. Hayasaka is the best wingman 
ever. Like, really? Uh, I, I guess. I don't know if I use the term wingman. Because, I mean, I guess so, because most of the time it's just her getting fed up with Kaguya's shit. And it's just like, all right, maybe stop being a little bitch. Yeah, exactly. Just like, I'm so exhausted seeing you two play mind <laughs> games with each other. Just come on and just do something about it already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, well, but she, in the end, she ends up cheering up her Kaguya, or at least getting her... To be motivated again to actually leave the house. Yeah, her long-winded speech about, like, how dis- how distance makes the heart grow fonder, yeah. and if he saw you again, his feelings would come bursting forth, all, all that fun shit. <laughs> so I'm thinking that the entire sequence where, uh, when Miyuki finds Kaguya in the alley, yeah, I- I'm assuming that entire sequence was played out from Kaguya's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because, like, how, it, from her perspective, he looks all cool and badass, but, like, later on when we see the flashback, he's got, like, a spurgy, like, freaked out face. It's just like, oh, oh, god, I finally found you, like, like that kind of face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just him being really worried about how stupid yeah, he looks. Yeah, like, I, I almost am sure he was just thinking about, like, like, overthinking stuff as he does. I think that just, uh, I was not expecting them to make a callback to this joke, because the... Because the driver, because even Ishigami's like, whoa, who's this really cool driver? I was not expecting it to be the guy from the ramen shop in the Chica episode. I don't think it was him. I think it was another one of the four ramen lords. You you think so? Yeah, the guy in the ramen shop was skinnier. This guy was kind of chubby. Maybe. I think... I don't know. They were referencing the deep Kaguya-sama lore. May, yeah, another... Just another one of the... Uh, yeah, because the, they, the they pointed out there's four of them. Yeah. And maybe it is true. Like, I would have laughed if it was another one. I personally thought it was. I even thought that maybe when he's like, oh, it's that young lady again. I was wondering if that was because he saw Chica because he recognized her or something. Maybe. But, I, but I, I don't know. I thought it looked a lot different. I, I was expecting uh, when they when Miyuki was like, all right, we got to go. We got to be there as fast as we can. We got to take that risk. I was expecting, like, Eurobeat to kick in and him <laughs> to, like, fucking just start drifting. <laughs> Yeah, I I and, like and uh or uh really quick Ishigami's fucking response to it. Mm. He's like, oh, where did this cool driver come from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like, whoa, who is this really cool driver? <laughs> I also liked a little like a uh, speech that Kage was making to herself about like how she just wanted to spend time with her friends. She doesn't need romance. She doesn't need anything like that. She just wants to spend time with a, a basically a series of firsts for her. The first younger student she's ever helped, the first person she's ever considered a friend, and the first person she's ever fallen in love with. I thought that was a really sweet little thing, which was immediately heartrending when the fireworks display has ended. Oh, uh, yeah. Ugh, this show, was, it was so depressing. Yeah, it was definitely like a roller coaster episode of like, oh, we go up and down and up, and then it was fine. <laughs> but... The, one of the best parts of this skit was just the aftermath of all that. Just Miyuki freaking the fuck out. Like, oh god, that was so cringeworthy. I, I mean, uh, I've been there before. Yeah, just immediately, like, a young man reflects on, a young man reflects on that day in summer vacation and regrets it instantly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's where you do something in the heat of the moment, and you think you look cool, then you look back on it, and then all you have to, all you have is nothing but time to sit in your room alone just thinking... Oh god, I could have done that better. Just and then uh, just realizing, oh god, I really did that, didn't I? That was fucking. <laughs> did his sister like put a pillow over her ears or something? When he yeah, no, he was screaming. Out. Yeah, he was screaming into a pillow, and she yeah, and she was just kind of laying on her side, just kind of covering her ears. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god. Everything everything about this last skit was also just really funny. Like, uh, because Kagi is playing this sort of like I don't want to look at you game because I'm too embarrassed to, but not because not because of the reason that um, Yuki thinks that it is, but because oh my god, he was so cool that night. I can't look at him. And look at Chica though, just like uh, asterisk. Yeah, and she's fucking like dives in the middle of him. Yeah, because she's just that little agent of chaos. I when the two of them walk past each other the second time. It, and then Chica's face when it said, like, the whole crossover thing. It makes me, like, it kind of looked like an, oh, come on face from her. Like, she was expecting something to happen. I think that's a, I think that's a game mm. that, like, uh, Japanese kids play. Mm, crossover. I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard something but her face, it, But her face kind of looked like this, oh, come on, really expression. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe you're just too convinced that she's a genius at this point. Yeah, I, I've gone too far. I can't go back now. <laughs> Uh, but then Ishigami steps in and gets ke- and gets shot down. Oh yeah, the, the little plane bit. And the fucking yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine looking. <laughs> <laughs> and then even uh, and Chico is all the, three's a crowd. Yeah, just four's a crowd. No, three's a crowd. Like <laughs> <laughs> it throws a fit and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the just her Kaguya chasing Miyuki, and then the season ending with yeah. her saying, I'll be the one to make you say it. Oh my god. The the show ending and the stereotypical romantic ending of, we never get to see if they're actually gonna be together or not. Uh, the ending credit scene was nice to watch, though. Yeah, it was with, just with them. With all the kind of resolving of all the people just kind of doing their own thing. Like, yeah. Um, Hayasaka doing the, the dance with her friends was, yeah. was adorable. And then, like, somebody, and then just Chika running and not Chica, freaking uh, Kaguya running in front of her and just going, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that was great. I the, the, the ending was not, it didn't really catch me off guard or anything. It wasn't really that surprising. I mean, I guess the feels part kind of cut me off guard. But uh, all in all, I think the ending was done very well. And it, I guess doing it this way leaves room for more. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm sure maybe they're planning on it because there's more source material out there. Already. I would love to see more. I would love to see a second season just to just to see like these two goofballs duke it out pretty much. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I have full confidence that they could just make more funny skits about them trying to get each other to say "I love you" or whatever. Yeah, and then eventually maybe being a couple, and then. Like we said earlier before, like, if they actually do become a couple, maybe it's another game to basically... Tr- it basically just becomes another series of mind games between yeah. them. Stepping up to the next level of mind games. Exactly. So, next up is the Magnificent Kotobuki. Another... Proof. One of the series that will be ending next week. Yeah, no no finale this week. Uh, we gotta see more of Isao being a shithead. We got... Uh, although we got a little more personality to Asao, I think, this episode, mm-hmm. which is something I think they should have delivered earlier. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, when he was dogfighting um, and fighting pretty much the entire Kot- Kotobuki squadron by himself, yeah. you gotta see how he was kind of a, a cocky asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we saw he was cocky earlier, but, but he didn't... Know, just, this just kind of points out to why he would be such an asshole a little more. Yeah, like, he thinks that he's probably the only one really deserving of power, because, like, he is one of the greater fighting aces. Like, even they had pointed that out in the episode he was introduced. Yeah, when he, like, saved the day, pretty much. Yeah, like, and I I still don't think it was handled particularly well making him the main villain. Like, no, it, it, just, no, it doesn't no. really make doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It just I, I think he would have come off way better as... Kind of just a snarky, 
political guy. Because uh, I loved um, when they introduced him, his kind of banter with, with his butler. Yeah. How they were just pretty much like a, a comedy duo. Yeah, the fool and the straight man routine, pretty much. Yeah. And that like was cute. Yeah, and then his, uh, and his, the way that he kind of disagreed with Julie. I wasn't expecting him to be like a full-on enemy of Council and Julia's, like... They like he yeah, was here. I, I was expecting more of like a rivalry. Yeah, like just sort of instead of like I'm gonna murder you now. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm literally a tyrant. The world will basically bow to me completely. Let's let's show like this side by side footage of me giving like this grandiose speech. Meanwhile, I'm going to show another shot of a fucking uh, a fucking planes bombing the city. And, like, it being completely on fire, just to show how different we are. He seems like a sociopath, honestly. Yeah. No, he's a complete and total sociopath. Like, really? What the hell? I, w- I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that from this series. So, uh, yeah, we got a little bit more uh, introspective on Kelia's perspective. Because, mm-hmm. uh, or not introspective, but she was saying out loud how, like, well, what's the point of war? Like, how should any, should anyone really be allowed to just go to war? Yeah, our war is really just supposed to be fought on a whim like this. Like, mm-hmm. she said, like, she understands, like, all the things that led up to it, like, and all the, all the reasons and motivations. But at the same time, she just doesn't understand why it had to go down this way. Yeah, like, I mean, she's... She's a she's a young girl, yeah, or young woman, or whatever. She but she brings up a good point. Are they ju- are things just supposed to happen just because? Pretty much. Yeah, it's like there's definitely a reason for all the fighting that's happening right mm-hmm. now. But I, I think it's probably more of a philosophical question from her, mm-hmm. not wanting to kill people as well. Yeah, but not like, having not wanting to kill like a lot of people for what she deems for no good reason. Yeah. But you know, Rayona being. Orders are orders. We have to do this. Well, it's less... It's partly that, but also that she trusts um, the madam. Mm -hmm. Trusts her decisions. It's like, well, you know, people may not agree with it, but to her, to me, her word is is truth. Yeah, exactly. I I think it's kind of... We got a little... A couple really funny uh, Captain Dodo moments, too, this episode. Like, uh... Like when Julia was talking about like what the world under Isao would be, there would only be three groups of people: Isao, his followers, and his slaves. And then all of a sudden, you just see Captain Dodo go, <laughs> just scream. <laughs> and even how Captain Dodo, like I don't understand if they, I don't know if they ever really explain it, but he's apparently like a pretty damn intelligent bird because it's like, okay, where are we supposed to go? He just points to something with his wing. It's like, oh yeah, right there. That's right. Yeah, like I, I think he's one of those characters that is something like if this were a like a DreamWorks movie or something, they'd be like, uh, this movie, the, the movie would come out and they'd be like, next time, Captain Dodo the movie. Yeah, <laughs> being a piece of shit. Oh god, yeah. He's one of those uh, funny mascot characters that's funny in the situation itself. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the dog fighting in this episode on point again as usual. I th- I really like the sequence when uh, when crap, what was her name? Naomi. Uh, she. Like, when she was, like, had people coming behind her, and then she, like, suddenly, like, pulls the brakes on her, uh, on her plane and goes into a nosedive. Yeah, like, like, all the choreography of the flights are Yeah, so, so good. good. I, so many cool, like, uh, ancient flight tech or, uh, like, old-school Japanese flying techniques. Which, the weirdest twist of this se- of this season, apparently the Yufang are just Japanese people. Oh, my God. I, the, ugh. I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Just I, like, ugh. I, I was like, I'm sorry. This is such an interesting world with things I'd like to worry about, or things I'd like, things I'd like to learn about. And they're like, uh, alternate dimension. Yeah, it's just an alternate dimension. Where... Well, shit. 
Like it's just Jap, it's just Japan. Like apparently, yeah. Yufeng is. It, I, I'm assuming that uh, they're like trying to trade technology between their world and Japan, and then there's kind of like a weird kind of mm-hmm. political power thing going on in the background. Maybe Isao knows more about that. Yeah, I I am not entirely I'm not entirely sure why they decided to go this route. Maybe yeah, like, just... last episode I said it just got too serious too fast. Yeah. Like, they really should have been building up to this. And I I think it's hilarious, like, because they got intel that was apparently supposed to be perfect intel. We see how wrong that is later, because... Oh, I love that guy. I, I was just like... He seemed suspicious from the beginning. I liked his method of uh, betraying him. He was like, I'm exploring other lines of work. I wish you the best of luck. Bye! Yeah, like, but he seems <laughs> suspicious in the beginning because, like, even the way he was like, oh, yes, this this uh, intel is perfect. It yeah. seemed so kind of stilted. It's like, okay, that's not suspicious at all. Right. Oh, yes, I'm citing it. I'm throwing in my resignation. Uh, Gaudreau, or... Yeah, Gaudreau, Gaudreau, I think. Gaudreau is just a fucking idiot. Yeah. Honestly. I think he's dead. I'm Probably pretty, because entire... the Paroco because the Paroco flagship went down. Yeah, yeah, it, it went down with him in it. Maybe uh, they'll show that he got rescued or whatever next episode. Uh, fucking Isao's plane looks so wonky. It, it's it, a plane with the propeller in the back. Yeah, it's like a weird amalgamate jet plane. That's really yeah. the only way to explain it because it goes way faster than anything else. It's capable of doing all these crazy maneuvers. I'm not even sure if it's based on a real plane. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm, it, I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, like, I'm not that fascinated in uh, aeronautics to know, but if you guys know... It looks it fake. Comes, yeah. That's it, what I'll say that. It looks like a fucking Star Wars... Yeah, like, it does uh, look like a Star like Wars a space shoot. fighter. Yeah, although I will say that that whole sequence when he's just like flying around shooting shit down, that was all really cool. Yeah, like suspension of disbelief, it was kick ass. Yeah, just boom, 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 boom. Like even the bullets had their own like kind of unique sound effects, like his guns. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I think my favorite uh, little bit of the episode was probably. When uh, everything was looking dire, and then you just hear dun 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 dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun the fucking uh, elite industries guy yeah. <laughs> just flies in. I, I thought was, that was a really cool callback. Yeah, there have been a this week had a quite a few cool callbacks to previous episodes, like uh, with with the whole uh, thing in Kaguya-sama that we brought up earlier, and then this was all really hilarious and fun to watch. I love when they do, like, callbacks that feel earned. Like, they're mm-hmm. not, like, ridiculously out of place. And it was just long enough where you forgot about the guy, too. Like, yeah. I completely forgot about him. I forgot about them, too. But I was like, oh my god, that's right! I, these guys are yeah. around. That's pretty awesome. It's like a, it's totally like a Han Solo showing up at the last minute sort of situation. <laughs> oh, man. I... But apparently, the episode ends, like, an after-the-credit thing, after... A mo- like half the Kotobuki core gets shot down. Like, well, uh, also Kate shoots down Isao. Yeah, that's a big moment. right. Right as he's, uh, I'm assuming Kate was probably just waiting for him to like revel in his victory, and then she's like, yeah, blah, 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 and shoots him down. Yeah, the carelessness is your worst enemy. I'll keep that in mind next time. By the way, are you the one that shot down Alan? Yup. And then the episode cuts there before an episode credit, like an after credits moment, which I thought was super weird, but. We find out there's another hole opening up right yeah. over Rahama. I, I'm assuming the show is going to end with uh, w- with another big dogfight, probably. Yeah, probably. Maybe Rayona versus Isao or something, because that yeah. seems to be like the main... Or maybe Kilie. Yeah. she's like the main character is what it feels like anyway. Well, that and the fact that he basically just said, oh yeah, by the way, I killed your mentor. 
Yeah, that too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Saab will come through the hole or something like that. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, just badass old man comes to save the day. Yeah, well, yeah, because he said that he shot him down. He didn't say that he killed him, just yeah. that he shot him down. What What if it turns out in the end that Isao has never been killing anybody and he's just this good guy? I I doubt it because yeah, yeah. he just seems like a complete and total fucking sociopath. Also, that, that, that would piss me off, too. Yeah, <laughs> just no. So, Mob Psycho 102, another series that will be concluding next week. Okay. I didn't expect uh, Serizawa to go from, like, not really caring about him that much to being so precious. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's just such a nice guy. Like, he's he's basically just Mob if he had yeah. taken a different path. He's Mob without a Reagan. Yeah, He's mobbed with a evil Reagan. Oh yeah, much. <laughs> because that's basically dark Reagan. Because that's basically what uh, that's basically what Suzuki is. He's just an evil Reagan. Yeah. Like he even Suzuki points that out with Reagan. It's like, oh, so you're someone who also lies, cheats, and steals from people, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Reagan lies, cheats, and steals to help people, uh, and Suzuki does it to take over the world. Yeah, Suzuki is. It's sort of. It's the antithesis of someone being sort of a chaotic good person and a lawful evil person, pretty much, I think. Which, Suzuki, we get to see just how much of a fucking sociopath he is, and he's basically just all for one, by the way. (laughs) I can take everyone's psychic powers and make them my own. And I can also store my own energy. Come on, Bones. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that, uh, Mob Psycho came out, the series initially came out before Hero Academia yeah. did. I- I'm not saying that anybody is copying anybody. It's just funny that that's the same studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, and the main antagonists, at least as far as we can tell, have the same abilities. Yeah, yeah. it is pretty funny. It's like, really, Bones? <laughs> but who cares? This, this was really cool. I, we got I to see two 100%s in one episode. Yeah. I actually, as you said, I felt really bad for Serizawa. Like, I I don't think I could really imagine being, like, somebody who was just so afraid to hurt somebody that I couldn't even leave my own room. Like, yeah. the fact, and not being able to deal with it because nothing else has worked. So, basically, he was just a prisoner in his own world. Yeah, because he knocked his mom, I think all he did was knock his mom down a little bit once. But, like, after that point, he just was like, nope. Not gonna I, risk it. Yeah, I can't do this. Like, I just, I can't leave my room anymore. It's, it's definitely understanding, or understandable why he followed Suzuki so much, because Suzuki was the one thing that helped him fix that. Yeah, like... I mean, put a band-aid on it, I guess. He didn't really fix it. And even, and even Suzuki said, um, he was the person who got me out of that room, and for that, I'm grateful, but I can't, but... Serizawa, you mean? Or, yeah, Serizawa. Serizawa said that Suzuki is the person that got him out of that room, and for that I'm grateful. But if my happiness, uh, but if my happiness comes at the expense of someone else's tears, I'd rather just be unhappy. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a really nice moment between him and Mob, just talking on the stairs. Yeah, I loved his hundred uh, percent friendship. Yeah, friendship. So cool. Like yeah, just he's like, oh no, I'm not taking your power. You can have it back. <laughs> And just him seeing all the shit that Mob went through as well. I think yeah. that was the that was the thing that probably pretty much put him over the edge. Of yeah, because not wanting to do that anymore. Because it was sort of starting to like, and unfortunately, Mob was willing to just speak the hard truth to Serizawa. Like, and he had, and I think Serizawa knew that deep down. But he was, and he even acknowledged that he was just running away. He didn't want to face the truth. 
and I think that it was really nice, like, when he says, well, if you're looking for a friend, I'll be your friend, and that actually causes him to pause for a second. It's like, oh, shit, I accidentally <laughs> released a full-powered blast. Well, he's dead. Oh, man. But I think that it's also... And even seeing, once again, just how much of a, uh, an asshole that Suzuki is, like, beating the shit out of his own son, like, within an inch of his life, pretty much... Yeah. Oh, God, it was so painful watching him beat up Mob. Just seeing, like... It was so visceral. Yeah, like, his face distort and him him being, like, on the edge of unconsciousness. Yeah. And and just because he saw that Mob had the exact same ability that he did. Yeah. I, I that was that. the as, moment. As soon as he saw that, he was like, all right, you're my enemy. I have to kill you now. Yeah, exactly. Because it was, like, the one thing that could possibly threaten him. Yeah, because he just acknowledged that, well, you, you're now my mortal enemy. I think that it was, uh, I think that it was pretty cool when, uh, when Suzuki and Mob were talking with each other, just like the, uh, the little bit when, uh, Suzuki was all like, I surpassed everybody when I was in middle school, everything's basically beneath me. It's like, no, you're the only one who stopped progressing since middle school. Yeah, he's still in that middle school, I'm better than everyone mindset. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's really cool, because, because the thing about Siri, um, not Serizawa, Suzuki, is that he sees himself as inherently better than everybody else. He wants to see himself as somebody special because, for one, he's a psychic. That makes him kind of special already, but even then, that's not enough. He wants to be special among everyone who's special. Yeah, exactly. So, and he doesn't, like, and he basically scoffs at the idea of, like, connection and having, and needing other people when a big part of his power is taking energy from other people, basically just being a fucking parasite. Yeah. A little ironic in that way. Yeah. Like, so he literally needs people to become as powerful as he's become. And so there's something inherently flawed with his mindset there. But that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. No kidding. Because, right? because mob gets a lot of his, not like literal power, but his emotional support by, uh, other people offering help to him. Mm hmm. Whereas, uh, yeah, Suzuki has to take all of it. Yeah, exactly. Himself. Yeah, he's a, he's a fucking parasite. Great antithesis of uh, of mob. Yeah, really for a villain. Yeah, no kidding. Like because, and then also just like the little showdown between him and Reagan. Like Reagan basically trying to bluff him, which I thought was really cool. I can think of four ways to defeat you. <laughs> oh, really? Well, tell me those four ways. Eh, I'd rather not. But I'll do. But I'll tell you what I can do. Like. How about me work? How about let me work for you? Yeah, Reagan, he does what he has to do. I was actually like legitimately worried for a second because yeah, I thought he was just going to be actually dead. Like because his bl- when his bluff failed, which was a first, by the way. Like because Reagan usually has just bluffed his way through things. Yeah, and usually every psychic he attacks with physical strength ends up going down in one hit. But then. But yeah, Suzuki just appeared behind him when he's getting ready to blast him. He's like, wait, 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 I give up! I give up! And it, and it went on to show a direct result of Mob's immediate actions. Mm-hmm. Because if he hadn't of stopped and talked to Serizawa and convinced him, you know, just to to go on and be a better person, then I don't think Serizawa would have actually stepped in to and save Reagan. Exactly. And that was a really good point. And then Mob basically just realizing at that point, there are just some people you can't reason with. And Suzuki is definitely one of those people. He's no. got to make him hurt. 100% rage! Yeah. And unlike the killing intent we saw before, like, he's just, he doesn't want to kill him. He just wants to prove a point, I mm-hmm. think. But yeah, he has to be put in his place. Exactly. I And I think that is so cool. But... Uh, Suzuki is only at 10% of his power, which is terrifying. Yeah, I am, ugh, 
This next fight's gonna be so good. I can oh already feel God it. Oh damn! I can't wait for it. <laughs> I, I'm assuming shit. that mob lifted up the building so that they could have their own fighting area. Probably. Oh, that would be so cool. But like, that's a lot of energy being used to to hold that building up. I'm assuming, anyways. Although, I mean, I guess he lifted up an entire school before. Yeah, I think that, and I think that maybe he was just trying to get him away from the city because, like, a big thing about. Uh... Sarazal, not Sarazal, I keep getting those confused. <laughs> Suzuki was like making a big point of, oh, you're all going to betray me. Well, I'm just going to vaporize oh, you yeah. with my finger I was, lasers. I was really surprised that the plant guy ended up picking uh, Sarazawa over um, Suzuki. Yeah. Because like, Sarazawa seemed like a nice guy. I'm going to help him. Mm-hmm. And I, like everyone at this point pretty much is not on his side anymore because they see how much of a monster he truly is. Yeah, even Sho says, yeah, my dad isn't human. He's just a monster made out of energy. <laughs> Which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. The next episode is going to be sweet. Yeah, finale. Yeah. So next up is my roommate is a cat. The uh, I liked the direction they went as soon as Subaru learned about well, that Haru escaped mm. because I felt like, like I said last week, his reaction to the planes being canceled. It seemed a little ham fisted at the end, but then yeah. it's just like it was a little it... over dramatic. But at the same time, he did what any rational human being would do and just say, oh, hey, I'm going to be late. Could you check on my cat yeah, for that's me? all he had to do. It was a, it was an unnecessary dramatic cliffhanger, in my opinion. But yeah, when like as soon as he called up uh, Hiroto, I was like, there you go. That's all you had to do. And then it just <laughs> sort of, but then it was like, oh, shit, she actually ran out. And it didn't feel like a, a plot point, like, like, a, uh, like a ham-fisted one. It actually felt genuine because of Haru's mindset at this point. He's out there somewhere. I have to protect him. Yeah, because we've been getting more... Haru more and more has been building up this emotion of uh, Subaru is a useless little baby yeah. that needs to be protected all the time. Exactly. And, and even though Haru's not really the bravest or the strongest cat, she, she still wants to go out and protect him whenever she can. Yeah, no kidding. Or because make sure he eats, etc. Yeah, because and I think it was nice how she uh, realized or how she came to that realization that maybe he's out there somewhere because she just thought of her younger siblings in the same kind of situation, just kind of somewhere scared and alone. Yeah, and they, they were. It was pretty much Subaru and Haru going through the exact same emotions of that person's out there. I need to go out and, and protect them. Yeah, uh, it was. It was really cool seeing Subaru get help from all these different people. Yeah, all um, the people that he's made connections with over the course of the series. Yeah, just slowly making friends and people who actually care about him. And even Kawase, who he started off with really disliking at the very beginning, actually having him call up and say, Hey, I'm going to help you. Hiroto filled me in on the situation. Um, I'm going to help you. Him and I are basically going to switch places because... Uh, because he knows downtown better than I do. So mm. I'd be better off just standing standing guard and waiting for Haru. Even though Haru dislikes me, <laughs> pretty much. But I thought that was a really nice uh, kind of show of, uh, I don't want to say affection, or I guess friendship. Yeah, good, yeah, friendship. Yeah. I, I was I was actually pretty stressed out <laughs> during, the, during the whole uh, chase scene. Because I was worried that, like, oh, Haru was going to fall in, the, in, the, in that slough and get washed away or something. Oh, and, yeah. That, like, that moment when she got, like, blown over and, like, had just barely missed it, and then she tried to uh, tried to climb up, it it reminded me of that scene from, you've seen Homeward Bound, at least, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, of course. Jesus. I've seen so, Bound. you remember that scene from Homeward Bound when uh, Shadow, like, fell down the hole, and then he was trying to climb up, and yeah. he put in, <laughs> like, aka, like, a moment that destroyed you as a fucking exactly. kid? Exactly. It, it, it's uh, not gonna make 
break it. I, it actually, it reminded me a little bit of that. And as I've said before, like, this series reminds me a lot of uh, Because of Winn-Dixie. Um, mostly because, in Because of Winn-Dixie as well, there was a thunderstorm which caused uh, Winn-Dixie, the dog, to run away. Because he was, like, terrified of thunderstorms. So... Two heartbreaking uh, children's animal stories rolled into one, apparently. But I really liked it. Like, I like when they found each other. Like, that was a really nice moment. Mm-hmm. From both perspectives. Exactly. Um, I would have liked it from Subaru's perspective a little more if he didn't say anything when he saw her and was just kind of holding her. Like, if we had just, if the animators had just let his face do the storytelling mm-hmm. in that moment, I think it would have been a lot more impactful. Just, like, basically, like, kind of looking at her, smiling, crying, and then just hugging her. That would have told a lot more, I think, than just the, uh, than the dialogue. Yeah, It felt like a little bit of an unnecessary insert. Uh, like I said before, the show stumbles on delivering sadness sometimes. Because it, it it almost seems like they're not trusting the audience to feel sad. They want to be like... You, no, feel sad. Feel sad. Sad music. Why are you sad yet? Uh, yeah. Like, that aside, um, like I thought all those situations in this episode were adorable. It was really heartwarming. Seeing Haru just kind of yeah. lick his tears. That that was super sweet. It's like they're, the the emotion in the heart is there. Uh, they're just not executing it super well. Yeah, no kidding. And then I, I like to say that in both perspectives, and usually in the perspectives, like, Haru likes to portray herself as the hero, like, constantly, basically mm-hmm. prove, like, oh, it's like, oh, you were scared, it's like, you really must have been scared, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, I'm, but you hung in there, I'm so glad. Yeah, good like, boy. Like, not like, basically trying to just brush over the fact that she was completely terrified yeah, as completely well. completely oblivious to the fact that uh she was the one in danger and super wasn't at all the one in danger yeah exactly i just thought it was uh i thought it was downright hilarious how haru i i think just basically showing pride as a cat yeah, haru was always like like puffs up and, and she's just like, like so proud of herself <laughs> yeah and it's just kind of hilarious seeing like her basically trying to strut around and say yeah i'm the hero here mm-hmm. i i just think it's super adorable in that in that whole perspective it's been a common theme where anytime it's Haru's perspective there are always things that make her seem tougher than she is yeah like it's basically it's almost like she's kind of an unreliable narrator i think because she's just seeing she's basically seeing things or showing them to the audience as she thinks that they should be yeah exactly but yeah uh, the, the ending was uh, I wouldn't say it was anything, like, new or groundbreaking, but I think it was pretty touching. Yeah. Just, uh, seeing the, the, the little conversation back and forth between Haru and Subaru, or I guess their perspectives of saying how they just want to, like, they're just going to be there and take care of each other and yada, 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 friendship, love. Yeah, friendship, family, mm-hmm. love. Yeah, it, it was, it was cute. That's... Yeah, I've, I've grown attached enough over the course of this series to Haru and Subaru that the ending was nice and heartwarming yeah. for yeah, me. Yeah, it, co- it was a cozy little show. It was it was just cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to point out that the, the series has, or at least this episode, did a pretty good job, I think, of displaying, like, how panic attacks kind of are. Because, like, when we saw, like, Subaru, like, like kind of clutching at his chest and stuff, that's actually pretty true to anybody who's ever had anxiety, panic attacks, stuff like that. They usually tend to do that because, like, your chest tightens up and it just feels ridiculously uncomfortable because, and you can't focus on anything other than that. I just, I thought it was a slight detail, but one I really enjoyed. I, I would have liked if 
it, like I mean, it's small detail, but if he actually cooked Haru a meal mm. at the end when they were all eating together instead of just giving her some canned food, yeah, <clears throat> like a, I thought that would have been a cool detail. Then everyone could have been like, "Oh wow, you can do this." Yeah, it, it would have been that would have actually been a really nice little touch. Mm. But other than that, like yeah, this was just a solid ending to a really adorable show. Next up, Promise Neverland. Oh, man, this finale was so good. Yeah, it definitely didn't stumble at all. They no. perfectly nailed the ending of this show. Yeah, I, like, for one thing, I think it was an awesome reveal when we find out, like, why Emma left the kids behind in the first place. We we kind of, it had kind of been alluded and joked about constantly on the internet that Phil was, like, this amazing super genius, like, who had basically had everything figured out. And it's not entirely wrong, because he had... Because he's only four, and he'd already just kind of suspected, something's off here. Yeah, he's a very inquisitive little child, that's for sure. Yeah, and very perceptive, too. Like, and he's, and it's been pointed out that he's one of the higher scoring four-year-olds as well, so it makes sense. I was, I was surprised how he, like, he went through the the emotions of, once, once he learned, he was crying, that, like, realized that everyone who got taken away is actually dead. And the, but, uh, you know, like, it didn't take him long after that to get back on his feet. Yeah. Realizing, no, like, I can wait. You guys can go. Yeah, it, that, that was a super... I was like, ah, I'm so proud of you, Phil. That was such a brave and a brave moment from him. Like, I, I was so happy for him because, like, like there was, like, no hesitation at all. And I think that it's a, a good point to make out because the, uh... Because what they had made such a big deal about in the series, the reason why so many people followed it, they... So many people went through with this escape is because it's Emma. Because people, like, people acknowledge that Emma's reckless and unreasonable, but she's honest. So people are able to just kind of rally behind her. She's Mm -hmm. exactly the person that Phil needed to hear it from. And he trusts Emma. Like, he knows that she'll be able to do what she sets her mind to, so. Yeah, Emma... Emma and Norman made a very good leadership pair. Mm -hmm. Because... For to for solid leadership, you need the person who's got who who's not necessarily the smartest, but they they have a lot of heart. Yeah, and everyone's gonna rally behind them. And then you need the the idea man behind them who's gonna take all of these ambitions and make them into something realistic. Yeah, and I think even uh, like I I think that Ray is also gonna kind of serve in that stead, like with um because there was a lot of growth from Ray in this episode too. Yeah, I, Ray didn't have a lot of input per yeah. se in the final plan. But yeah, he's definitely, he's really smart, and uh, he's definitely probably going to be the the smartest person yeah. going on. Yeah, I but think... But most of this episode, he was just like, what? Like, wow. What? <laughs> it, this, this was a, um, uh, this was a really, like, fundamental way of showing the whole, in order to, like, to borrow a quote from Persona 5, in order to trick your enemies, you must first trick your allies, which... That's exactly what Norman did. Basically knew what Ray was planning and used that in a way to where it could benefit uh, Emma's ideas, pretty much. Which is very creative. Like the whole, everybody would ex- expect us to escape from the bridge, but so but we're not going to go to the bridge. We're going to go to this spot, this one spot where it's dangerous, but we can yeah. make it. So I actually brought that up a few weeks ago when... when uh... When they showed the pit, I was like, oh, well, maybe they'll come up with some kind of grappling or zipline device. Or I wasn't expecting them to actually. Yeah, like I was just kind of joking. Like, like, that seems a little far. Um, but they, come up with, they came up with a really clever way to do it. With, I, um, 
what's his face don don yeah throwing what? the first one and then and then actually using the bottle rockets i lost my shit when <laughs> I, I i saw i saw them like getting ready to do it. it's like okay we're up and they pull out the freaking water rockets i'm like no no fucking yeah, way. Yeah, there's so many little details they've done just with the kids playing that they ended up using. I don't remember, I don't think they did the grappling hook thing, or the zipline thing. I don't think they showed that on screen. Mm. Uh, but it's it's another one of the cases where I, I said last week how it doesn't necessarily show it, but it's a situation where you could see it happening. Exactly. It like, is... they definitely already spent enough time pointing out that the kids were training. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, so it's not too much of a stretch. Like, the clues and stuff were all there. Like... And it was just, it's not too far-fetched to basically assume these twists and see them coming. Yeah, so, it, it was so exciting just seeing all of these little details come into place as they finally figured out how to actually escape. Yeah, I I want to point out, so I said a little bit before that, uh, that Ray had a lot of character growth this episode. And the reason I say that is because, like, after seeing basically Norman's plan coming together and Emma, like, all based on Emma's desire to want to save everybody... It kind of, like, awakened something in him, because, like, uh, the little girl, Jemima, or Jemima, however you pronounce it, they call her Jemima, so, uh, when she was, like, too scared to go down, and he basically says, don't worry, I'll take you across. I think that's a big moment for him, because... Yeah, especially if you consider, or um, compare that back to his original plan of telling Norman, we're not taking everybody. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a big moment for him, because even he acknowledges, I had considered everybody else a hindrance. And he admits pretty much that he was wrong. Yeah, he was just as surprised as I was, and probably a lot of the audience was, that the kids were actually capable enough to do all this stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, I didn't expect the kids to be able to handle the truth, let alone actually, you know, go through with the plan of helping everyone escape and building these complicated mechanisms to help them get across the the gap yeah no kidding um then we get the then we get like the penultimate moment of the series basically emma saying goodbye because she's the last one to escape mama figures out that the kids are escaping and what they're planning because apparently she had tried much of the same thing before and realized there was just no way out yeah that was such such an um, such a subtly emotional scene yeah uh from isabella's perspective because through the flashback, we learned that she, well, we already knew that she tried to escape before, but we learned the kind of the reason behind it, how she had this boy she loved, and and then she realized that, well, I'm, I'm just going to get out of here. And she, I'm assuming she was probably originally intending on helping kids escape. Mm. But then she realized there was basically no hope. Yeah, she was exactly. just She was just walled in, pretty much. She, she never thought about, like, doing anything to get across that gap. It was just, like, despair to her, and she eventually just gave up. Like, uh, I... I think a lot of her motivation was survival at first, mm-hmm. and then eventually she moved on to realizing, well, I, like, I don't want people to die, but I, like, she faced the the inevitable truth that these kids were going to be killed and turned into livestock, so she wanted to give them the nicest, most comfortable life that they, they could have, and, like, she genuinely really yeah. felt that way. and... That was the other big thing. Like, I thought it was just, like, a lie at first. Like, I thought it was basically, she was just, basically as monstrous as the monsters. Like, she was just somebody, but no, there was, like, a legitimate feeling of, no, I actually want to provide the best life I can to these kids. Like, if there is no hope, I might as well give, basically, uh, a false hope is even better than no hope at all. 
is pretty mm-hmm. much like her mentality. And that I think is really complex and definitely paints her as a more sympathetic character than I was expecting at first. Yeah, especially because she didn't even try to stop Emma. Because as soon as she ran up and saw Emma, they just kind of had a stare down for a while. And I think Isabella was probably hoping that maybe Emma wouldn't do that. Like, a tiny part of her was hoping. Yep. But I think most of her was hoping that she would just go. Because after all, the kids made it across. They uh, let the yeah the strings down and everything. She kind of just bundled it up, bundled them up, looked out, and said, like, I hope you guys find your light. Yeah, and even she, like even after that, she sort of like uh, unties her hair. Basically, I think a symbol that she was kind of like untying herself to the things that had been binding her before, like because she had basically finally admitted to herself that, well, maybe they'll be able to find hope after all. Yeah, it's because throughout all these years, she's had to tell herself this is the only way. Yeah, and now she's she finally learned that it's not the only way. It's like. There's, you just have to give up so many years yeah. of your life there. Yeah, yeah she, this must be hard to do. She, it's a very, it's a very nice like a uh, visual storytelling element. Also, when uh, when Emma is saying goodbye, like she's saying goodbye to all the different things, like goodbye house. The first thing they show is Connie's little bunny, mm-hmm. the thing that started this whole thing to begin with. I thought that was very clever. Like, just so many good details in this series, although. Another twist I wasn't expecting this episode. Mama actually is one of the kids' mama. Yeah. She's Ray's mom. Yeah. Which, for one thing, time lapse a little... Like, they've done it already before. Like, the time lapse, like, showing, like, pretty much through very minimalistic dialogue, mostly music. And they kind of, like, show, like, a brief, like, showing of this person's life, pretty much. Like, snapshots, just enough to give you the information and piece it all together not like saying and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened Mm -hmm. this series has done it once again with that like seeing how mama was pregnant or isabella i guess was pregnant and how she had eventually like trained to become a mom and all that fun all that shit and then just her hearing like a somebody humming a song that she hadn't heard for a long time yeah i'm assuming because so ray brought up the fact that you know he he remember all the stuff when, from when he was an infant. It was probably uh, him remembering the tune when he was in the womb. Yeah, exactly. And she was humming. When yeah, she, when she had her hands on her stomach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was in, in that face she made of just like kind of terror, just like the realization that she's basically <laughs> like shipping off like literally her own flesh and blood. Yeah, I'm assuming that is actually one of the reasons that they make them have a child. So they. What I think is they make you, they choose you to be a mama, they send you through all the training, and then when they confirm that you are fit to be a mama, they have you have a child, and then that child gets put in your plantation, and that kind of gives you more of a emotional attachment to mm-hmm. the plantation itself. Yeah. Kind of more of a reason not to fuck anything up, because then your own kid dies. Exactly. Right? I mean, your I mean, your own kid's gonna die eventually, but... I mean, yeah, I mean, this was, like, literally her own, like, flesh and blood, mm-hmm. which she basically already sent, like, so many of her children out, because she really did view them as her children. Like, it wasn't just a facade, as we pointed out, but this was literally, like, her child, which, that would be more, that'd be, like, devastating, I imagine, as soon as she realized that. Like, and I want to point out that, uh, it was a very nice moment when Phil asked, like, where the other everyone else is, and she's like, don't worry, they all escaped safely. Yeah, she she knew that Phil knew what was going on. Exactly. And that's going to create an interesting dynamic 
because Phil's going to be like the next Emma, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like uh, she's like he's watching over all the children like that are under the age of four while uh, Emma's gone. Basically, just trying to keep track of everyone and take care of them. Yeah, I'm wondering how this incident is going to affect Isabella's position as a mama. Yeah, because that's a lot of merchandise unaccounted for. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big fuck up. That's like. That's pretty much most of your livestock. Like, I feel like they're just going to replace her. Like, they have to, right? Like, I imagine so. I mean, I I really don't know. Like, I don't know what they're planning. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I'm like i looking forward to the second season. Like, For sure. good 20, lord. 2020. So, next up is the quintessential quintuplets. And, once again, I admit defeat. I was wrong again. <laughs> Yeah, I, like, it was something that I had forgotten to bring up last week, because I, I noticed it, and I took note of it, I had just forgotten about it in the heat of the moment, um, that when Ichika, like, had called out to Uesugi when he was sliding down the hill, she referred to him as Uesugi-kun, not Futaru-kun. Futaro-kun. So, why did she say, have you not talked about anyone, have you not talked to anyone about yesterday? I think she was talking about, like, just, like, the, uh, the compromising position that she found, uh, Ichika like Ichika and Futuro in like she was thinking that maybe he would just be another boy like saying oh yeah like I I was like that with her pretty mm. much so, so you think it was just a a, se- a separate situation I, I think so it's kind of a coincidence yeah it, that's exactly what I think it was I guess that it was is. a good way to throw it off or yeah throw the audience off in, uh, as evidence of me yeah exactly <laughs> I I like how Nino was, uh, like, super being, like, being super protective, like, with a whole, like, I can trust you, right? Like, just sort of, because that's the biggest thing. It's, like, her attitude has shifted. Like, she just wants to believe that Futuro actually is a person that she can trust. Like, she knows that, like, she doesn't like him, but she at least is willing to trust him, I think. I think Nino is probably wary of guys because of her dad. Yeah. Uh, I think the girls were talking about that. I don't know if this episode, but I think they said, like, uh, Futuro's not like her dad. Yeah. Who's probably, like, really cold and distant. and emotional. Oh, yeah. No, they did. They they brought that up. I think they brought it up while um, uh, Futuro and Itsuki were on the ski lift. Uh, okay. <laughs> Which, I think that was also a really funny little moment when uh, it's like, hey, do you think it's that girl over there? Do you think it's that girl over <laughs> there? Like, uh, no, it can't be. It's like, well, yeah, obviously not because that's a guy, but you have terrible yeah. eyesight, Itsuki. Yeah, this this episode was really sweet. Like, that moment was really sweet. Uh, Ichika and Miku finally mm-hmm. just making up with each other. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they weren't really arguing, but I guess... Sort of, um... Coming so, to terms with their feelings. Yeah, they both just kind of realized they both like the same guy. They need to... And they're basically just trying to figure out the best way of how to approach that going forward. It's surprisingly, it was Miku doing most of the talking yeah, in the situation. <laughs> exactly. The person who hasn't been talking, like, the least... Throughout the series. I know, right? I uh, I think that it's kind of... I think that it's actually a really nice moment when uh, when Miku basically says, I'm going to do what I please. I'm not going... like, And I thought that it was might be selfish for me to actually want someone all to myself, but I can't say that I don't anymore. Like, mm-hmm. So I'm going to do what I want. But, Being honest with her feelings. Yeah, but you girls are welcome to do exactly what you want to. I'm go- but I'm going to be the one to win. <laughs> I thought that was a nice declaration of her, finally. Declaration of war. Like yeah, her, pretty much. Like her favorite shogun warlords. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I think that it was also... Uh, 
I think that it was also kind of interesting that the reason why Futuro was sick, and we realize why, is because it was Raiha. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, I got sick because of Raiha, probably. And and then Yotsuba being, like, really upset about the whole, like, I've been dragging him around all day while he's been sick. Probably all week, or all weekend, because yeah. he seemed kind of off this whole time, and I've just been stringing him along, pretty much. And then Itsuki comforting her, saying, no, he still had a good time, I think, in spite of it having a somewhat oh, yeah, miserable the, ending. the book. Yeah, the book. It's it kind of a little heartbreaking, because they realized how much... He had been he... looking forward to it. Yeah. Exactly. And... I think that it was kind of hilarious that, uh, I think that it's kind of hilarious that all of the girls were thinking the exact same thing. We need to go see him and, uh, like, try and comfort him because uh, we all feel, switch. yeah, because we all feel guilty about this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, in traditional, uh, harem fashion, all the girls show up in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, it was, it was still kind of touching because, yeah, it was that harem bit, but there was also that kind of, that little, uh, family Kind yeah, of feeling behind it all because they were all holding his hand at the same time. Yeah, which we get a flash forward about five years, a little over five years. Yeah, five, I guess. five and a half years. Yeah, because yeah, uh, clever naming on the episode name. They're like it was like day, day of fate two thousand, and then day of fate two thousand. It's like wait, what? Yeah, and I didn't quite get it, and then I was like, oh, days, and I just like through divided by three sixty five, five and a half years. That makes yeah. that makes about sense. And so first off, like in that flash forward. Raiha's hair looks so much oh more reasonable. Yeah, it Holy shit. It doesn't look like she's just dipped it in a vat of fucking chemical goo. Yeah, and just like, whoop. Or as I said, kind of like that scene from Something About Mary, which you've never seen. But anyway, uh, I think that it was kind of cool when uh, Futuro was walking down the aisle, like, and then he notices uh, Maida, like... The guy he kind of butted heads with before about Ichika, but uh, he had danced with another girl and had ended up getting married yeah. <laughs> to that girl. Which the he's two our Cupid, yeah, he's the Cupid that brought us together. And I think though that the uh, the show, like the show, is trying to be vague about who the wife is going to be. Yeah, <sighs> but like, which okay, fine, like I get that and. I guess you could say it's going to, it could be anyone's game if you'd never read a harem series before. Yeah, it definitely. Or had never like, seen a harem series. The narrative focuses a lot on painting Itsuki as the the canon choice, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah, because, because for starters, A, she was the first girl he actually met and talked to. Usually in harem series, that's how it goes. The first person they interact with is usually the first girl they end up with in the end. Mm -hmm. That isn't always the case, but usually it is. Like, Love Hina did that, and a few other series have ended up doing that. Anyway, the second one being that she did was Negima the... Did Negima do that? I, no, Negima didn't do that. Negima was super ambiguous about it, yeah. actually. And Negima's all got, like, parallel, like, alternate <laughs> paths and timelines and shit anyway, so throw that shit to the curb. But the other big one is that Itsuki was the first person who reached for his hand, which, yeah. and so, I mean, it's revealed that, oh yeah, all five of them were holding his hand, and, like, each of them were holding a different finger, which... And she was the last person to say something. Yeah, until the last person to say something to him, like, in, like, the uh, final, like, moments of the episode, so... Yeah, but it, it, it's, it, yeah, like you said, the person, the bride looks, like, just vague enough to be anybody, 
because her hair color looks kind of like Itsuki's, but it's also kind of pinkish. Yeah, and, and it could be the lighting, and also she could have just dyed her hair. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, because the the quints had already looked exactly the same before. Yeah, like, like I didn't even think about it until now that they have the exact same eye color. Because I was like, oh, maybe we'll go back and find out that way. Yeah. Nope. Uh, yeah, they all have the exact same eye color. The only thing really different about them is their hair, their hairstyles and personalities, pretty mm-hmm. much. And I think that was all, I think that's all a point of just trying to be different from each other. Which maybe if they actually did stuff, like let their hair be natural, it all would look the same, but I'm not sure. But like I, I said, I think it's going to be Itsuki in the end. Yeah, I, I think there's more. Yeah, there. Like, I'm pretty sure it's an ongoing series. Or yes. I don't think like, or maybe they just made that ending up for the show. Hmm. Uh, maybe he doesn't actually have one in the manga. Hmm. Um, if anybody knows that, uh, please let us know. don't let us know who it is. Yeah, just don't let, let us know, know the if that was an anime original. Yeah, for ending. for manga readers, let us know if that was a anime original thing, and if not. Also let us know because yeah. we're idiots and we're probably never going to read the manga. I, I was really hoping that he would walk down the aisle and the door would open and there would just be all five of them in wedding dresses right there. <laughs> yeah, you thought that when, like, uh, when Raiha was, like, kind of looking around the wedding hall and she sees, like, all these dresses just kind of yeah. hanging. <laughs> You're thinking, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, oh, wow, yeah, I guess they're all marrying him. And like, I would have been 100% fine with that. <laughs> I'm almost certain that polygamy is illegal in Japan, though, so... It's fine. It's anime. Who cares? Yeah, who cares, indeed. Uh, I, I'm i surprised that there isn't, like, some, like, online conspiracy or something going on, though, about, like, uh, about, like, who was holding his fingers and stuff. Because, as I'd pointed out, like, all the girls were just holding a different finger on his hand, and it was uh, from... Left to right. holding the digit of the number they were? Uh, yeah, actually. And Yotsuba <laughs> had her, and Yotsuba had his hand on her, on his ring finger. Oh! <laughs> I, <laughs> I figured, I figured you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> like, that was, like, some BuzzFeed-ass conspiracy or something. Like, Yotsuba confirmed to be the actual wife? Click, you'll never see what happens next. Oh I'm, I don't know if we I mean, will. that's pretty much canon right now. Like, you just, you confirmed it. <laughs> I, I guess I did. Next up, Rising of the Shield Hero. This opening, like, the first half of this episode was kind of disappointing, actually. It felt kind of static and underwhelming, this first fight against Glass. Yeah, because uh, it was a very easily... Glass dispatched the other three heroes like they were nothing. It's like, well, we want the plot to focus on Naofumi, so let's just conveniently knock these guys aside. Yeah, and... Like, she even says, why not just send those servants in, in front of us? I I think that was actually pretty funny. But the big problem was, is it kind of felt like just like a... It felt like a scripted, like, JRPG. Like, exactly. You were supposed to yeah, lose, the first, right? the first boss fight, or, or, or the, the boss fight before the game actually starts. Yeah, like, this is, like, in Paper Mario, like, you were basically just scripted mm-hmm. to lose. Something like that. It exact, it felt exactly like that. Just, no matter what you do, you are screwed. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, that, uh, there was a little bit clever, There's a clever little bit at the end where, when Nafumi realized that a timer was running out. Oh, yeah. He's like, well, I don't have to beat her. I just have to not be here when mm-hmm. the timer runs out, so she'll leave. So, uh, yeah, then you, you know, use the light and blah, 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 run away. Yeah, that was... I actually will say that was pretty yeah. clever. Like, it, and I was not expecting a timer to show up. I'm like, wait, where the fuck did that come from? When was this established? Shit like that. So, uh, last week, we were a little confused about why Philo was freaking out. 
Yeah. Um, Somebody had pointed yeah, out to us, uh, though. Thank you to uh, Vengeance on Van- Vengeance and Vanity on Twitter for uh, bringing that up. That yeah, uh, obviously, duh. She ate the fucking dragon crystal or whatever. Yeah. She gave like Naofumi a little bit of it. He's like, "Where's the rest? I ate it." Yeah, I I that had completely slipped my mind. Like I yeah. had completely forgotten about that. So yeah, we're idiots. Um, to nobody's shock, but I think that it was also just the. They also did, like, something I don't think you're supposed to do in big series like this, because the thing is, he activated the Iron Maiden last episode, which was awesome. Like, that was a really cool, that was like the showstopper. He did it this time. It was incredibly underwhelming. Yeah. Like, partly because, yes, Glass was able to quickly dispel it, but the initial hype behind it is gone, because that's like... It's kind of like seeing Goku do, like, a Kamehameha. Like, that's, like, his, like, signature move. That's his showstopper. Like, you have to space him out just enough to where it feels, like, ridiculously epic and awesome. I, I, I think, uh, like, you have a good point, but I think you're thinking more along the lines of, like, a spear bomb. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, he fires off Kamehameha's, like, he's throwing candy to orphans. Uh, but, yeah, the spear bomb is, like, the thing. Yeah. Like, the thing to stop the enemy. Yeah, yeah exactly. And the Iron Maid, and they didn't... They didn't really do that with this. Yeah, like, the intention felt... I'm assuming is to make to, to really show us how powerful his character was because you got you got his ultimate attack that beats that enemy in one hit and then it does nothing to this thing. But uh, yeah, it didn't really. It just felt kind of bleh. Yeah, it just like they showed it like they showed it twice in a row, way too soon. So there was like no like hype factor. Like, oh, are we gonna see that again? Uh, like, like, oh, when are we going to see it? When are we going to see Oh, I guess we're going to see it in the mm. next episode. There's just, like, no build-up. There's no tension. There's no suspense. It yeah. felt really awkward. That whole section of the episode was uh, not very good. The the other half was, I thought it was pretty good. I, it was really satisfying, I will say that. Oh, just, yeah. Uh, when when, uh, when the king asks him, he's like, well, traditionally, the people shield. grovel before they uh, yeah, he, and, ask information. And he doesn't me. even, he doesn't even, like... Like, he doesn't even say it at first. He points at the ground first, like, and then he says it. Like, if you're really... That smug-ass look on his face. Yeah, it's like, tip... They have to say, pardon my ignorance, but just... That was really hilarious. And the the little chase scene when Glass is shooting from, like, the ship, and you see, like... I like uh, Raftalia's little danger sense, her ear twitching. Oh, yeah. Nice attention to yeah, it's there. it's it's cute. It it's just cute, and it's kind of um funny how that works out. Uh, but yeah, that was that moment when he told off the king was hilarious, and then uh, uh, it was nice seeing the king like shaking in his boots when he's like, "Oh well, maybe I'll just go after your slaves." And, and then you know, now Fumi just fucking death glare. Yeah, just why don't you just fucking try it? <laughs> if you if you so much as lay a finger on them. I dare you, because if you do, I will chase you to the ends of the earth and make you regret ever being born. Just the amount of, like, vitriol and just, like, that It was, it was a good performance from the voice actor, for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, holy shit. I was like, oh, man, that was chilling. And finally seeing him just stand up to this bastard who's been, like, tormenting yeah, in this kind of... It's just satisfying from the viewer perspective. Yeah, just like, oh, thank fucking God, finally. Like, he's actually, like, he's burning the bridge horrendously, mm-hmm. but I... Oh, the bridge is not even there anymore. Yeah, no, the bridge, is, the bridge is non-existent. I'm, uh, contrary to what Melty would believe, she believes that the bridge can uh, still be repaired. Speaking of Melty, like that, we get a we get a one-two combo. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was satisfying, but just seeing her fucking 
just shit all over mine. It's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I, as the crown princess, will deal with this yeah, situation. Yeah, emphasis on the crown princess. Yeah, Did just, you get that, big sis? I'm the crown princess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the princess, and you're not. Neener, neener, neener. Yeah. <laughs> and just I, seeing, like, Melty, or uh, Mine's face, just, just fucking so upset. I'm yeah. Like, yes. I revel in this. I will roll around in her upsetness. Yeah. Like I will. Like I will. Like take. I will take. Like if there were tears, I would like freaking like paint my face and <laughs> shit with them because just oh get my. a chalice and put it under her tears and just mm, a fine mm. year. <laughs> it's like mm, fine year. Just a couple minutes ago, so sweet. Uh, I think that it was, and I think that it was really cool. Like how it was melty, basically. Uh, or multi, rather, or I guess mine, whatever name you prefer, trying to insult her, basically saying, oh, you're still a child, you still want him to baby you, but you can't be that way forever. And then how it just is completely flipped on her. I think that was just so clever and so, like, just satisfying to watch. It's great when seeing mine getting put in her place. Mm -hmm. The shopkeeper is so... He's he's the best girl of the show, really. Yeah, he's the best girl. (laughs) Like, because he... It didn't felt it didn't feel forced or anything how he started helping him. It's just kind of, they kind of started off as kind of forced business, and then eventually he realized how Nofumi wasn't the bad person everyone's painting him out to be. Uh, yeah, he was like the first person to kind of realize just how wrong everybody was, and he like and he was actually kind of afraid to do business with him. But he's like, here, I'm not going to let you go out completely alone. Take mm-hmm. this cloak, and I like uh I like how they don't say it. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't specifically go out of his way to say. That, like, I know you're not a bad person or anything. It's just kind of implied uh, mm-hmm. through, through their interactions. That's, yeah, exactly. That's a nice little subtle uh, narrative direction they're going with. And then how he's just like, oh, yeah, well, we want a sword. And even in the Retellius, no, we got to save money. But uh, he just gives them, like, fucking two swords anyways. Yeah, he gives them. For free. A, yeah, he gives them a replacement sword for Reftalia, because, like, just like the one from before. And then a mana sword, which is supposed to be used on incorporeal enemies. Probably a lightsaber. Magic lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it plays the lightsaber <laughs> sound effect during that, I'm going to just shit myself. <laughs> Um, give him a couple other things too, uh, like the gave, gloves. Yeah, the gloves that he just gave to Philo. Or you gave them to him just in case Philo goes out of commission. Well, no, I'm saying, but uh, oh, let, me, yeah, yeah, let Philo try it on because yeah. might as well make Philo ridiculously strong as well as unnaturally quick. Maybe she can use it to punch uh, Modiasu in the dick. Oh man, that'd be super it's satisfying. Titan strength. <laughs> no kidding. I like how when when Melty finds them. And basically is trying to convince now Fumi to, like, kind of smooth things over, which I appreciate the sentiment. Like, I do. Like, she just wants, she just wants everybody to get along. And she, like, as a crown princess, she wants to see, like, alliances and stuff pan out. That all makes sense. And also as her father. And also the whole thing of we need the heroes. If we are on bad terms with even one of them, bad things are going to happen to a lot of good people. So yeah, she just wants the right thing to happen. <laughs> She's like, you can't fight with each other. The king and the hero can't fight. Yeah. Like, it, it's almost like it's supposed to be like a, um, uh, like it is a JRPG and uh, just like, this is off script. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be fighting. I mean, she she's saying the right thing. Like, she makes a lot of sense. Like, just stop, you know, pissing each other off. I mean, even though, like, I mean, obviously the king started it. Yeah, the king did definitely but, start it. But, you know, if you keep going back and forth forever, the 
the argument's never gonna end. Exactly. And then, uh, I think it's kind of hilarious when, uh, when she says, you'll be lost without the king's financial support. I was like, <laughs> oh, how lost yeah, you are. Flashback to, uh, Aqua. It's going, <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, oh, wait, he's been the one raising his own money to build, to buy his own accessories and shit. Yeah. I had almost completely forgotten about that. But, there's a setup in place. Yep. Because I, I, I am assuming that they knew Shield Hero would be able to block that attack. Because, like, he's the Shield Hero. Yeah. Of course he's going to be able to block a simple sword. They're probably setting him up some way to look like he's attacking the princess or kidnapping the princess or something. Yeah. Which, it's sort of like a, uh, it would be sort of like a, a link to the past when uh, all the guards are convinced that Zelda has been kidnapped by you, but you're actually the one saving her. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're that's exactly what they're trying to do here. Like, uh, mine is trying to basically make it look like, oh yeah, he kidnapped this dear crown princess. She won't be able to defend herself, anything like that. Because gotta sully the uh, shield hero's reputation even further. She's just so fucking spiteful. She like she is like comically evil. Yeah, like, I, think, I think we said it every week how she's just the worst. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure like most people would wouldn't disagree with that. It doesn't seem like there's any real motivation for her just out of pure spite is really all there it's is. It's probably mostly along the lines of she's not the crown princess. Yeah. That's probably where a lot of her pissiness is coming from. I wanna! I wanna be the crown princess! <laughs> I wanna! I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna! So yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's... That was, I, it was kind of a finale of uh, of this core, I the, guess, technically. Yeah, the, I uh, think the new LP is going to be next episode, probably. Uh, the, it might be, and the second uh, the second core poster has been released already. And oh, it, yeah. And it's showing uh, Melty on screen, and she's like casting, I believe, water magic yeah, or something. Yeah. Which is actually kind of cool. You have a pretty well-balanced party. You've got Naofumi with protection and healing. You've got uh, Raftali as a swordsman, but also with uh, light and shadow magic. And then you have uh, Philo with wind magic. And now Melty, who I'm assuming is going to be the dedicated mage with the water magic. So next up is the finale of Run with the Wind. And oh my god, this was just a emotional journey. Like, this has been one of the most uh, emotional six months ever. Yeah, for, for anime for me, for sure. It's just like following these guys throughout their entire... Journey and yeah. getting like slowly, progressively more and more into it. Yeah, following. Yeah, following these past twenty three episodes, and this episode was just capped it off perfectly. Like it's, I was kind of, I was kind of worried that the ending might be too schmaltzy or something like that. But no, it felt just as deserved as it as it needed to. Like For it sure, wasn't like yeah. too over the top or anything like that. It was 100% earned. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about Fujioka and Kakadu's interaction really quick. Because uh, uh, Fujioka, I have so much respect for him as a character. Yeah. Because he, when he talked to Haiji, he was worried. After after he got the record of um, an hour or nine minutes yeah. for Section 9, uh, he was talking to Haiji worried that Kakadu's going to pass him and then none of his... And not, his record isn't going to matter and he's just going to be forgotten when Kakadu gets faster than him. And I love how Haiji just convinces him, like, no, you're not going to give up, though. Mm. And he just kind of looks back and smiles. And yeah, it's be- like it's, it's it's all about the it's all about keeping yeah. keeping on. Yeah, just it's all about the journey because mm-hmm. 
because that's exactly what uh, Fujioka says. Is there even a finish line for us? Like, and it's like, well, in spite of that, you're not going to give up, are you? So basically implying, no, there is no finish line. You're just going to keep going. Yeah. I loved uh, Haiji's comment of Kaku- or, uh, Fujioka awakens Kakuru and Kakuru spoons, spurns on Fujioka. And then they just keep going back and forth. But where am I going? But where am I supposed to go? Oh, uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Because he... Well, well um... It, it was kind of a little heartbreaking for Fujioka as soon as Kakuru finished a second. I know! Just, he, he beat his record by a second, and there's this, this moment of, like, fuck! <laughs> like, I, like, I actually felt kind of sad for Fujioka, but at the same time, Fujioka didn't feel all that heartbroken about it. Like, sure, he was disappointed, like... because yeah, that was his closing uh, race at, in college. Yeah, and he said, it's not over yet. Like, he just acknowledges, well, that's just, I was kind of expecting something like this. I, yeah, I thought, that's, that's what I said, I have a lot of respect for him, because even though he lost, like, it was such an incredibly frustrating moment, he's mm-hmm. still just looking forward. Yeah, and instead. he just he just kept his composure. The, uh, I think that it was such a nice moment, too, when, uh, when Haiji was, like, seeing Kakuru getting ready to pass the Sasha over, and basically just saying, you are the form I've never re- been able to reach. Like, you were basically just, you were basically the embodiment of running. Like, yeah, it's, he, pretty much Kakadu is, like, the the answer to running that he's been looking for. Exactly, which I thought was super cool. And then finally passing off the sash, and then Haiji doing, his, like, running, like, running it. The whole, any time they focused on Haiji's legs, I was so goddamn nervous. Yeah, it was such a really good, like, a really good sound choice design. Whenever they focus on his leg, they kind of played, like, a creaking wheel. Oh, God. Sound effect. Yeah, I was like, oh, God. Because, like, you know that it's, like, you know that he's pushing it. You know that it might be able to still make it. But the fact that it's still creaking like that is not a good sign. Yeah, I, I think that most of the beginning of the race, he didn't really feel it too much. Yeah. Because but... uh, as we got revealed, um, I think it was the morning of the race, uh, he took a lot of painkiller or took a, a little bit of painkillers. Yeah, he took some painkillers. But as the race progressed, he, like, the painkillers had begun to wear off. And yeah, he... and in the... The wheel sound effect actually gets louder and louder and louder uh, up until the end where you just hear the snapping noise. Oh, God, yeah, that was... And just, like, the way they'd shown it before, like, when everything went into negative and Haiji's leg, like, wound had been, like, just shown in, like, bright, visceral red. And just that expression on his face. Yeah, it looked like he was actually about to pass out from the pain he was going through. Like, his eyes were rolled back and he was about to fall over. And his teeth were, like, ridiculously clenched. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I don't think I've ever gone through anything that painful. (laughs) Yeah. I... And there was also a nice, cute little moment when Musa asked the... Finally! Like, after some prodding. (laughs) After some prodding from the other guys. Like, in just, like, a little, like, funny visual joke. Like, they kind of bump Musa's arm. And then they just go, hmm? Mm-hmm. Like, just ask her. Yeah. And then, like, her face as when she realizes that. And then, uh, and then just Kakuru being the one to wait for Haiji at the finish line. And just, like, his face, like, being all excited, like, you're almost there, just keep going. But then for, like, that brief second, he sees, like, that Haiji's face is just twisted in pain. Yeah, Kakuru is the only person at all there who, who notices that. I'm assuming, uh, Haiji's pain was probably, or at least his reaction was exaggerated for the audience, I'm yeah. assuming. 
a little bit because literally no one else noticed that besides Cockroach because he was watching Haiji so intently. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, it was so painful to watch because Haiji realized that he's, he's not going to give up mm-hmm. even though he's in intense agony. Yeah. He's going to put on a smile for the rest of his team and finish the race. Yeah. The, and like that little, that little moment when uh, Kakaru basically says that you are also basically comes to the realization that you are running like just that strength and determination that what he admires, that's what he had ultimately been searching for as well, mm-hmm. which I think is nice. A lot of people are going to like kind of throw that as a romance, as a romance ship, which, which it could be, it could be, but I it's... don't think there's any like evidence in the flash forward to indicate that to be yeah. honest, but I think that it's more definitely just kind of sharing passion, sharing that sort of intense degree of friendship. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they are the goal. They, they, the goal that they wanted to find. They found it in each other. And, yeah. And, and it just kind of spurns them on to further, further their like careers in running because, uh, later on, I think Haiji's like a coach. Yeah. Now. Haiji's a, yeah. Haiji's a coach for a different school. Um, the moment when Haiji crossed that finish line, it was so goddamn triumphant. Like, mm-hmm. just, holy shit. Like, I had never felt, like, so just, like, completely satisfied by it. And then the way they timed the credits was just absolutely fucking yeah, and they perfect. they just roll in the credits and the music starts playing. Yeah, and then you just, just that, all the stories they're telling just through, like, no dialogue and just the music playing over it. Like, everybody just kind of hugging each other and crying, like, oh my god, we w- we did it. Um, Haiji's leg just freaking trembling. Yeah. But, and, um, and they, they didn't even just show the winners. Like, they showed, uh, Tokyo Sports. Yeah, Sakaki's um, team. Just him on the ground, just in crying in frustration. Because they lost by two, they lost their seated spot by two seconds. Yeah, because, well, I mean, not just because of Haiji. Obviously, everyone else put in a crazy amount of effort, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, it was uh, because Haiji was able to, like, push through that pain. and Yeah, push through that pain, push through, like, because, like, repeatedly throughout the uh, repeatedly throughout the race, you had the coach basically saying, so Yuki's calculated an, in- an estimate. At the pace you're going, you won't be able to beat yeah, Tokyo Sport. Yeah, he just sport. had to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Which I think if he ran at a normal pace, he probably wouldn't have, like, wrecked his knee as bad. Mm-hmm. But he just had to keep going faster and faster to get them that seated spot. Yeah, and... Like, it was just, it was such a triumphant moment, and, like, it was, like, one of the best, most satisfying emotional payoffs for a series. And I would have been totally happy if the series had just ended there. Mm-hmm. But we get an after credit scene, which... Yeah, a very nice, well-done after credit scene. Yeah, like, it's just a few years later. So three years three later. Three years, yeah. And everybody, everybody's just kind of moving on with their lives. Like, Musa staying in grad school, which is cool. The, yeah. uh... He's got a goatee. Now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, King's actually got a job, which is really cool of him as well. The uh, uh, Nico cut his hair, like, and looks pretty damn good too. Uh, Prince looks about the same. Yeah, Every, everyone looks good. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> but now we got Kakuru being the captain of the team, along with uh, Joji and Jota, which I was actually surprised that Jota ended up staying around for running. Mm-hmm. Uh, because his his whole conflict was it's time for us to break apart and let you like I'm gonna let you do your own thing, but I'm assuming that him seeing Haiji at the end right there, along with the fact that they actually got to be a seated team, probably kept him motivated enough. Like, well, maybe you know, maybe I should I will keep running for the rest of my college career at least. Yeah, I th- and I think that was such a really just 
it was a perfect capstone to a really good to a really good moment. And then everybody starts running again. You see, like the Kansei team has gotten so much bigger. Yeah, so many more people. Uh, the the dorm actually was being torn down, which is, I think, a nice. It's, I think, a nice moment. Just sort of like the whole. It's kind of the end of an era. This was yeah. the te- this was the building, and this was the team that started it all. And the Kansei team now is is thriving. And there was even the nice little callback, like everybody's sort of giving like their own little like speeches, just kind of interspersed with each other. With any ensemble cast, that's kind of an oblig an obligation to do that at this yeah, point. Yeah, as like, an audience member, I want to see how everyone feels, how all the characters feel. About yeah, that. and and then it ends with I think another really good callback. Just the first line that Haiji said to Kakaru. Oh yeah. Hey, do you like running? Yeah, and then it just cuts off right there. Yeah, perfectly. Just. Oh, it was so good. This was such an emotional series. I and what probably the best damn sports anime I've seen. Like, yeah, like I'd have to think about it, but recently for sure it's the best yeah. sports anime I've ever seen. No kidding. It, it and this this yeah, like you said, it was just the perfect capping off. Yeah, exactly. To this series. So that's going to be the end of week, or that's going to be the end of winter. Yeah, that's the end. Of, that's the end of winter 2019. As yeah. we've as we've like already acknowledged, there are a couple series that are going to be carrying into spring, which are Mob Psycho and Magnificent Kotobuki. We will be covering those alongside the remaining. Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about the final episode of those shows alongside with all the new stuff. It's going to yeah. be. This is the lots, new shit. Lots of new stuff to watch. I don't know about this first week. Yeah, this first week I think is going to be pretty lax, but yeah, uh, uh, but, but for sure, like we have so many things we want to check out for for spring. Like there's a lot of good looking stuff and a lot of stuff that's not like we don't know yet, mm-hmm, but exactly. we're gonna check it out anyways. Uh, the uh, we are also going to be doing our uh, winter 2019 uh season review here after the uh sec these last two episodes are aired because we are still considering those shows that are supposed to have concluded in winter so we're gonna just consider them part of those series that we've completed yeah the season review will probably come out about week three yeah of uh, spring yeah exactly and Uh, then we're gonna have to go through a couple weeks of saying winter instead of spring and then correcting ourselves and saying oh shit yeah <laughs> but if you but yeah if you guys uh, enjoyed listening to this uh, tune in next tune in next week we'll be turning we'll be moving into spring 2019 yeah. still gonna be weird saying that if you got any comments or things you think we didn't notice things you'd like to bring up uh, yeah go ahead and uh, leave a comment down uh, in the comment section and if you just want to listen to to two idiots ramble like jackasses or like eight-year-olds about uh, Japanese cartoons. Subscribe, like, do all that fun stuff. It's fun hanging out with you guys. Yes, uh, uh, goodbye everyone. This uh, concludes our final episode of the Time Sync uh, ASMR podcast. Uh, thank you for joining this very long season. Until then, anchor away. <laughs> Bye. And we'll see you next time. It's paper. <laughs>